I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit AbyssBattery.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. If you're like me, you spend lots of time pouring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code TRUTH to save some money and download it today. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. Welcome to the Truth From A Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Spartan Forge. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 304. Today, I'm joined by my good buddy, Tony Peterson, to talk about thinking different about hunting. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. Pennsylvania has opened. Everything should be open now. Everyone's everyone's bow hunting uh, across the country at this at this point. So everyone can breathe a little sigh of relief. Bow hunting season, deer season has has arrived, and so now is the time for the uh, constant nail biting, looking for that buck you've been watching to show up on truck camera or to see him or to find his track or to find his sign to know where to hunt him. Um, if you're like me, you are 
you are trying to figure things out. And that was really kind of the, uh, uh, as you guys know, my season comes in a little bit early. I live in a unit where it comes in early. Um, and this past weekend, you know, and you guys have heard me talk about, I have nothing local, um, or at least when I say local, it's within, you know, a reasonable drive of me is one way to say it's not like it's out my back door. Um, but nothing that I would consider local to me um, has really kind of piqued my interest. There was one buck that showed up, I want to say last week on a on a, a camera, and it's a place that I, I've talked about before. I know that it, it does pretty well at a certain time of year, and so I don't really bother that spot until I kind of hit the, hit the, the magic dates for me. Um, and so there's one decent one in there, and um, I'm on the fence, borderline. Like right now, locally, he's he's probably primed to get an arrow if I run across him. Um, just because he's about what I about all I got at the moment. Um, in the North Piece, there are a couple really good bucks um, that are that are up there uh, to chase. It's just a little bit more of a commitment because, truthfully, it's really a travel hunt for me because it's a couple hours away. Um, you know, so I have to kind of make plans, which I'm doing this upcoming weekend. Uh, there's supposed to be a nice little temp drop between, you know, Thursday into Friday, Saturday. Uh, so I think I'm actually going to head up there, you know, probably late on Wednesday ish and, uh, maybe catch a morning hunt and an evening hunt on Friday, uh, and just work, work from the trailer and then hunt all day Saturday. And then probably do a little bit of scouting, maybe check some cameras and depending on how things are kind of going, I may actually stay Sunday and hunt like Monday morning and uh, uh, and and maybe Monday afternoon. We'll we'll see. But I'll be home, you know, by by Monday evening because uh, I've got uh, jujitsu training on Tuesdays and stuff like that. And I don't like to miss that. Uh, so I'll be back by you know no later than uh, you know Monday Monday evening. So that's really kind of my upcoming plan. Um, got a few places kind of earmarked. You kind of just kind of see what the weather's going to do. It looks like it's going to be pretty decent with the with the temp drop. Uh, need to kind of just monitor the wind to figure out exactly where I'm going to, where I'm going to be. But this past weekend, um, you know, I, I'm not going to complain a whole lot because, uh, the, what we were getting this past weekend that kind of, uh, made for some undesirable conditions, you know, was the, was the remnants from the hurricane that came through Florida and those people just got pounded. I mean, I used to live in Florida, so I, I had been through a couple hurricanes and it's brutal. Um, and so I don't really want to complain about the weather ruining my Saturday, you know, deer hunting, uh, <laughs> deer hunting adventures, whenever people are, you know, trying to piece their lives back together and stuff like that in, uh, you know, off the West coast of, uh, of Florida. So thoughts out to those folks, hopefully, you know, people are going to be able to manage. Okay. But nonetheless, as far as deer hunting is related, you know, those conditions made for a pretty rough, uh, pretty rough day. Um, I did go out, I waited till the weather kind of subsided in the morning, had a little bit of a gap and was kind of, you know, monitoring the weather, was going through, you know, the cool thing Spartan Forge has, you know, pulls in like all the weather data and stuff like that. So you don't have to go to multiple apps. So I was able to just kind of pull that up and look at, you know, the area I was going to hunt and look at the weather information. It'll break it down by hour, what's going to happen as far as temperature and, you know, precipitation and all that kind of stuff. So I was watching to see when it's going to get a little bit of a dip in the percent chance of precip. And uh, it was going to slow down between like 10 and 11 and then should kind of shut her off around noon or so. I ended up getting out in the woods probably about 1130 and it was just kind of misting still a little bit. And, uh, I knew later in the day, the percent chance was going to go up, but it was never going to be above like 30 some percent was what I was seeing. But 
the reality was is that 30 some percent uh 35 or 37 percent whatever it was uh we got all of that because you know probably about uh three o'clock actually right about the time i was climbing into a tree was about the time that the rain started and the wind picked up and and really what i was doing i was going to a spot that um that i had scouted but didn't kind of thoroughly scout and had a camera in the area and i wanted to check that camera but it's a hike it's a pretty fur piece to get to get to this spot and i could be quiet so that was kind of why i wanted to go in um this past weekend on saturday because with the wet conditions, I was like, I can be pretty quiet. I can kind of sneak along. You know, I've looked at every spot I knew of for White Oaks, at least all the areas that I've scouted. And I kind of earmarked as good spots that had something that I liked, whether it was terrain feature, whether it was a scrape or, you know, a primary scrape or whatever it was. And every White Oak that I've kind of found is, has nothing. Like there's nothing dropping in these, in these particular spots. And so my goal for this particular area was walk in, you know, check that camera that I had that was close by. I knew I probably needed to move it because I moved it hastily running out of time one evening when I was in that area, uh, on a different hunt. It was just the cameras at the very kind of not an easy access point, but it's kind of at the front end of the, this area that I wanted to hunt and learn more about. And so I grabbed that camera and then just started scouting and actually ran across a, uh, a scrape line that had started opening up already. And, and then right around that scrape line, there were uh, a couple white oaks that had dropped. Now, albeit these are probably like the smallest acorns I had ever seen in my life, and there wasn't a ton, so it wasn't going to be like, you know, a big magnet feed tree necessarily. Um, but it also was really the only acorns uh, that I had found on the ground that weren't from the previous season that were all rotted and stuff. So I figured, you know what, let's not look a gift horse in the mouth. This is the best sign that I've seen in this general area. You know, did some scouting in that area. So then I just kind of hung a camera on that scrape because I want to catch some inventory and get some intel for the area. And then ended up kind of, the way this scrape kind of sets up, there's like a little bit of a pinch of habitat. And it's kind of funneling all the movement in this area through this spot. So I also kind of set up not far from that uh, white oak that was dropping as well. And was just planning to ride the evening out. And I think I found all that, you know, like two thirty or something like that. And so just give or take. And so by the time I got like a camera set up and then kind of picked the tree and got it and actually got into a tree and got settled, it was probably about three o'clock and, uh, was planning to ride out the evening. And then of course the rain picked up and the wind picked up and I just, I mean, I had a rain jacket on and stuff like that, but I didn't have anything on my legs. So my legs were soaked, soaked, got a little chilly. And I think I bailed around five thirty cause it was just getting, it was just getting worse. Um, and I actually had my good buddy, uh, you guys, if you listen to this podcast for any length of time, or if you listen to it at, from the beginning, uh, my buddy, Phil Marchek, who was the original, um, co-host with me years ago. Uh, he actually stopped over to the house yesterday and we had a, we tipped a good glass of bourbon together and had a cigar and just hung out cause we hadn't had a chance to hang out for forever. So that was kind of the end of my uneventful, um, my uneventful hunt. So I think the plan is it's supposed to be kind of gnarly at the beginning of this week, See if we can get out midweek. The temps are supposed to go back up, but I think the real plan is to um, is to kind of is to get ready to do my first travel hunt of the year and head north because uh, there are some good bucks up there and have some cell cameras up there that are popping off and they're uh, seem to be getting a little bit more frisky than they are uh, in my general kind of local area. So with that, we're going to go ahead and just cut to the chase and get to today's podcast. I have my good buddy, Tony Peterson on. You guys know him. You love him. He's been on a couple different times. Of course, he's on Wired to Hunt. And works for Meat Eater. He does a lot of stuff with Meat Eater, a lot of writing. He does the Foundations podcast uh, for Wired to Hunt. Also covers for Mark whenever he's off 
doing some work related things or vacationing or whatever the case is. Um, it's always great talking to Tony because we end up talking about, <laughs> I usually have an idea of what we want to kind of discuss. And then we usually never dis- discuss what it is I kind of intended to discuss because we just start kind of riffing and talking about whatever kind of happens to come to mind. And the one thing we talked about was thinking about hunting differently. So not just thinking about hunting as a uh, concept differently, like what is, what's going on with hunting, but also how that affects how you approach your hunts strategically and kind of tactically. And then of course, as you might expect, Tony and I, we go off the rails into a, into a bunch of different areas. So I'll let you guys kind of enjoy, enjoy that without any, uh, without any foreshadowing. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show. And as always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I have on one of my favorite people to have on, on the whole planet. <laughs> I, I'm ranked on the whole planet now. Yeah, yeah, you would, you would. I think the last time you were on, I was, uh, I felt like there should have been a lot more pomp and circumstance to have a celebrity on such as yourself now. <laughs> um, you know, so now I'm ranking you among the 7 billion humanoids that currently wow. live on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite. That is an honor, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's you then probably like my wife and my daughter. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she's listening right now as she's making dinner and I'm pretty sure poison just went into my food. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. I don't believe me, buddy. I don't want to rank above your wife. <laughs> right. It's, it's bad for him. It's like, it just seems like there'd be bad juju, not just for me, but like the person who's also in the position, yeah. like, like bad things might befall you. Like, you know, like you don't kill an elk this year or. <laughs> oh man. Well, that's, that's just generally what's probably going to happen anyway, but you never know. Right. So what's going on, man? How's your summer been, dude? What have you been up to? Uh, my summer went by so freaking fast that it's insane. And you know how it is when you've got, uh, a kid or two running around, it just flies by, but you know, uh, we first, first five, six weeks I spend fishing with the girls and then we switch over and start getting ready for deer. And it's just been you know how it is. Like it's been scouting, running cameras, getting out there, looking in the woods, taking some pictures and just trying to figure out how to, how to do it all this fall and, and get in all these hunts. And, uh, it's just about here, man. Yeah, dude, it's just around the corner. So where, where are you at on your like one to 10 preparation scale? Like <sighs> where are you at? Just, so we'll, we'll take elk out of the equation for the moment. Let's just say whitetails, for example, for right now, on a scale of one to 10, where are you in terms of your readiness? Not your readiness as far as like, I'm looking forward to deer hunting, Yeah, but like your readiness is like, I actually have a plan and know what the hell I'm doing. Well, I have a plan. Uh, you could say that I, I would say for the girls and their setup and how I'm taking them over to Wisconsin, I feel like we're at about a, an eight on that. Oh, that's, that's good. I've been putting in a lot to that. Cause I'm, that's really fun for me. I would say for my personal hunts. I, after this weekend, cause I'm going to kind of make a burn through Wisconsin and, and get some stuff set up for myself. I, I'll be at like a six, maybe at like a six, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> yeah. but you know, you know how it is. Like some of the hunts, uh, I'm doing a week out in, in South Dakota with the boys from the element and we're going to film a show. And you know, that's, that's a public land deal where you're just like mostly e-scouting. And so, you know, it's not like I'm going to run out there six, seven hours away. And, you know, it, it, so it's, that's a different kind of setup. And then, you know, I'm, I'm doing Minnesota on public land. So same kind of deal. So it's a lot of e-scouting, but you know, that only gets you so far. That's like just kind of the setup. And then you get into the groove and, you know, you're covering ground and looking at things and not, you know, doing some observation sits. And so 
I don't know. I guess I don't really know where I would rank it, but it's not like I'm just, you know, all set up everywhere and it's time to go sit in a tree, you know? Right. Yeah. It's funny because I did a, I was on a fellow's podcast and I forget which, which one exactly it was on. But one of the questions they had was, you know, or one of the things they wanted to talk about was what I do specifically when I don't have a deer kind of in mind or located during the summer. Right. And I was like, man, that's, that's a lot of, a lot of the time, you know, <laughs> yeah. I was like either for per- reasons of, uh, that I just don't have anything on camera during the summer or, or the reason of I'm just behind and I'm not, yep. and I'm not there yet, you know? And I was like, it used to be, I would get kind of bent out of shape if I didn't have like a decent plan kind of going into the, into the season. And I don't know if it's just getting older or what it is, but like, I've just become more and more comfortable with like, eh. I don't have a plan. I'll, I'll, fi- I'll figure it out, you know, and we'll, yeah. you know, cause really what my answer was is like, it's not sexy and it's not surprising. It's not like, Oh, I could do this one thing and it'll change everything for me. It was like, no, I was like, I don't have a deer located. And so that means the beginning part of my year is going to be probably a lot more boots on the ground and being mobile and trying to find where the deer are at. I was like, it's just a different part of hunting that I have to go, that I have to explore as opposed to going, yeah, I got this deer here. I know he's bedding over here. And so now I'm just going to watch weather days and I'm going to try to pick the right wind day and the right weather day to go in and try to extract him. I was like, that very rarely happens for me. So a lot of times my seasons kind of start as though I don't have anything in mind, even if I yep. do have one that I'm kind of watching. Yeah. Well, that I mean, that's kind of the dirty little secret about a lot of this is we're so conditioned to, you know, hunting content that's built around a specific buck and somebody who's, you know, watching one and working that deer and a lot of people who hunt a lot of public land and, you know, hunt pressured deer, they don't, we don't really live in that world. And I, I don't like, I mean, I like seeing them and I like running the cameras and stuff, but I feel like I never go into the season. Like that's the buck. Mm-hmm. I'm always like, I'm going to find places where bucks live. And one of them that I like is going to show up and that's good enough. And it's, so it's a different process for some of us than others. And I don't think the way we kind of look at it, I don't think it gets a ton of love because it's, it's really not as sexy as being like, well, I got, you know, five years of sheds with this buck and I've, you know, I've got, I, I dump 180 days a year into him or something like that's not right. <laughs> that's not everybody, man. Right. Yeah. I dump a lot of days just seeking out new spots to where maybe I'll have an opportunity at a decent deer at some point, maybe this yep. year, maybe three years from now or whatever. But if the setup is right, the signs there historically, then I'm like, all right, then this is a spot I need to kind of continue to come back to, to check out, maybe run cameras. And then if I do get a good one, then I know I'm in a decent, decent position for him. Last year was one of the rare occasions where I actually had one locally. And I know I shared some videos and stuff with you where he was there uh, late summer and then stuck around like basically all fall. And that was the first time in, in a couple years that I had a known deer in an area that I could kind of target and go after. And he wasn't the only one I was hunting. I hunted him on the wind days that were appropriate and the weather days that were appropriate. And when they weren't, I was hunting somewhere else and I was going to shoot another deer if, if one gave yep. me the opportunity, you know, and you're right. I think sometimes it's, uh, it's not as sexy, right? I don't, I don't name him. I'm just like, hopefully he's called dead deer at the end of the, at the end of the season, yeah. you know, but, uh, how are you, how are your, uh, your prospects looking this year so far? You've, uh, you got some cameras out and doing a little bit of recon. You know, I've got, uh, just on private land. I don't have any, I've, I very rarely run cameras on public land for a lot of reasons. And so I'm, I'm, you know, I've got some cameras over where I'm taking the girls and I'm pretty excited about that. You know, I mean, that's, that's kind of Northern Wisconsin. So it's not 
pretty low deer density and, you know, you're pretty happy with any deer, but I've got a couple of them that are, you know, like nice two and a half year old type bucks that are, they're going to be in trouble. I think like they're, they're pretty consistent and there's, and there's one pretty good one over there. That's probably, you know, 125, 130, and he's, he'll probably live to see another year, but there's a couple of bucks that are my, I would be so freaking stoked if my daughter's got a crack at them. And we've got some, you know, forkies and spikes and stuff that are going to be in trouble too, if they, right, right. if they come in, but you know, that's, I, that's, I'm just running those just to show the girls like this is, you know, it keeps them excited. And I do have, I have one spot in Southwestern Wisconsin where I filmed uh, one week in November last year. And that one's interesting because that's a good property like that right. area. It's like Iowa 2.0 oh, and nice. it's, it's, it's incredible. And you know, my buddy bought it. So he and I hunt it and we put a lot of work in there and I, you know, I can run cameras and set ladder stands and it's like, right. you know, that kind of hunting. Right. And there's, there's a buck in there that was there last year that is kind of, I think kind of took over the place. The The biggest buck that we had last year died. I found him in the winter shed hunting. And then there was another one that he's just, he hasn't come back. So I'm assuming Dead, something happened to him. Right, yeah. And I think this dude just stepped into the spot and you know, he's, he's like one fifties as an eight pointer, like oh, another wow. just, that's just yeah, like, whew. yeah, cool. Yeah. And he's sort of top dog. And that, that's like pretty fun to me. Cause like we, you know, we just said, I don't really live in that world very much. And so to like get to kind of follow a deer or like, you know, we saw that deer last year a couple times and I photographed him and we saw him in the January season and then now he's back and you're mm-hmm. like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that doesn't happen very often. And then, you know, there's another buck in there that I found a shed off of, that's really nice, you know, probably 130, 135. And it's that part I'm, I'm enjoying cause it's so different than what right. we usually do. Right. But you know, I don't, like I said, I don't really run cameras on public. I do have, I do have some bucks that I've seen <laughs> several times in Northern Wisconsin that I wish I could hunt that I can't cause I got to save my tag for that show. But if I, if I don't kill there, I'm going to go work those deer late season. Cause there's a buck that I've, I've seen probably I guess probably four times this summer and he's, you know, I don't know, maybe 125 ish, but for there, he's a really good deer. Is this and he's the big woods piece. Is that what it is? Yeah. 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 Okay. And I've just, I've gotten really like, it was, it's been weird up there. Um, I took one of I took both of my daughters a couple of weeks ago and we were setting up and, you know, brook trout fishing and just having some fun up there. And I had been there, you know, kind of by myself, really getting work done the week before, and we went and looked at a couple spots and I found some of the bucks that I saw the week before, like exactly where they were, like kind of call your shots. And one of them, he's bachelored up pretty good, but he's living right next to this public chunk that I really like to hunt. Hmm. And I know some of what he's doing and it really makes me wish I could <laughs> get after him, but I can't. So I'm kind of like, well, I'll put that deer on hold and just see, you know, but right. I don't know. It, you know how it is. It's fun, man. This time of year you're seeing you know, you're getting the pictures, you're seeing the deer and it's just like, you're right on the cusp of getting to do something about it. Right. Yeah. I always kind of refer to this as like, uh, the equivalent of what the Cleveland Browns go through every preseason. It's full of hope. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to put it. It I just, I just pissed off a lot of people in Ohio right now. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, this part of the season, it's like, I'm always kind of, it's exciting to kind of think about the what ifs, right? It's like, oh, what if this guy sticks around? If you have one that you're kind of watching or whatever, or how this hunt might play out or whatever the case is locally for me, I don't really have anybody returning. I had hope that the one that I was watching last year would return. 
um, cause he was just a hammer, but he was also a late show last year. So I really didn't see him until probably, um, consistently until probably like very end of August, first two weeks of September, like is really when he started showing up. Yeah. Um, so it's not surprising. I mean, he could be skirting cameras and stuff like that. So it's not, not completely out of, out of the ordinary that I wouldn't have seen him to this point. Um, but the North piece in the mountains, there is at least one player that I know is back from last year, which is kind of cool. And he was probably the second biggest one that we had on camera there last year. Um, and he's just a freaking tank this year. It looks like he actually, I can't really tell if it's like the way the, like he's, the picture is or whatever, but it almost looks like his antler size went down, but he put points on, which was interesting or, or his antlers look smaller because his body is just like a freaking tank. Yep. And it's like, and it's deceiving me because he's just so, he's just such a big body deer. Yep. You know, last year I guessed him to be at least four and a half, if not five and a half. And so this year, you know, five or six, you know, which is just stupid, you know, for yep. a deer in PA. But I think I, I had assumed I would get a little bit of that there just because of how big the place is and how many kind of hidey holes they have and stuff like that, that I would occasionally get a deer I can follow for a year or two or whatever and try to put a good hunt on him. Um, and then there's just one that's just like super freaky old and I've never seen this deer. His, his antlers look like flames off the shit and send a picture to you. They like wave out. It's so weird oh. looking. Yeah. And he's just like, you know, you hear all the stories of people like, you know, say well, that deer's face is gray. He's gotta be old. And it's like three years old, you know? So it's not really able to tell, but like when you look at him, like you're like, that's an old deer, you know yep. what I mean? Like he just looks like, looks like a weathered old man that's been sitting at the bar way too long. You know what I mean? You, like <laughs> You can see it. I, I shot one. Gosh, I think it was 2014. I shot a buck in Minnesota that I way underjudged the first time he came in. I thought he was like 115, but he came in again and I was just looking at, he was drinking facing toward me and I was looking at his shoulders and I was like, that deer looks like a horse. Like mm-hmm. I, I felt, I'm like, I, I think I'm getting this one wrong. And I ended up, he ended up getting to a position where I could just crawl up and stalk him. And when I got to like 30 yards on him, I was like, that looks like a monster deer. And so I, I thumped him and he ran off. And when I walked up to him, it was like, holy balls. Like he ended up in September, he ended up field dressing 214. Wow. And so he was, he was like 136 inch nine pointer. But when you look at him on the wall next to other bucks, he has that like totally gray face and you just like you just look at him and all the bucks that are up there you're like that one's way older right and you know like it's just it's once you got something to compare it to it's like super obvious but it's crazy to me how often we do that stuff like you know we were i was just out with a bunch of the guys from media and we were talking about what it's like to go hunt like texas or oklahoma and you know just how hard it is to judge those deer but even when you get into the northern states even when you live there like you know i grew up in minnesota like Mm -hmm. There's just deer that are at a different level and you get it wrong sometimes, you know? And I mean, when a, when a deer can make like a mid one thirties rack look small because his body's enormous, like there's, that's just cool. Right. And that's what I was guessing him at last year was like, he was a nine point last year and I was guessing like mid one thirties to like one forty is what I was kind of guessing. Right. And it's the same deer this year. Like I know it's the same deer just because the way his frame is, he had some like unique identifiers that you could, that you could tell. And he put on an extra point and and I'm looking at him like, man, I was like, he looks smaller than he did last year. I was like, but that doesn't seem right. Cause he's kind of like at his prime and he didn't have any injuries that I knew of last year. So it wouldn't make any sense unless something happened over the winter that, you know, didn't know about. And then there's one other one that I think will be back next year. He doesn't show to the fall. And I had pictures of him at the end of the year last year with his left side dropped. So I know he made it through gun season now, whether he got sick. I mean, there's no 
there's no roads around there for him to really get hit on. So he wouldn't get hit by a car or anything like that. So it'd be either got sick or coyotes or something, you know, who yeah. knows, but I, well, unless he's one of those deer that, you know, lights out for 20 miles to go to his wintering grounds, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is, you know, we think, I, I think so much of this stuff when you start and you've done this, like when you interview biologists and stuff and you hear these stories, like, I think we don't know mostly anything about deer. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like we, we fill in the blanks a lot. And then, you know, well, just as an example, that buck that I was telling you on my buddy's farm, that buck. So he came in, we were hunting, mostly hunting does in January, but my buddy had a buck tag and that was like the buck we were looking for. And he came in and he had dropped a side and never gave him a shot anyway. But you know, he had to have dropped that side fairly close. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the, the farmer that runs his fields, his son is a shed hunting fiend and they found the other side supposedly like two miles away. Wow. And you're like, why? You, you know, right. I mean, you have food, you have good like bluff country cover. Why would that deer, and it would have had to been within a pretty tight window in the winter. Like why make that move? Right. But if it's true, he did. And I couldn't tell you any reason why that deer would have to risk itself that way in January. And they do. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause just the things that we'll believe or the things that we kind of take is, um, as the gospel. And then when you look at the science or the data, it gets turned on its head. I did a podcast with, uh, the fellow, uh, Bronson Strickland from MSU deer lab. Yep. Cause they had, I'm sure you probably saw this, but they had some social posts where they kind of like, it was some preliminary buck bedding research that they had done. And it really, by and large, the research they had they had done posed more questions than it did answers necessarily. And they're doing a second round of research to kind of try to answer some of those questions. Um, but what they did have, what was interesting was that it kind of threw conventional wisdom in terms of what we think about buck bedding and its consistency or lack thereof at different times of the season kind of turned on its head to where they actually bed, according to their research, the least consistent during the, like, uh, like just say October time frame for Midwesterners, right? Yep. And they actually bed more consistently during rut time period, during for us so for November. So their bedding was actually tighter, and they had fewer locations that they were visiting with frequency during the rut time period than they did with like October time period. And that just kind of goes in the, in the face of conventional wisdom because everyone will say it's like I want to like if you talk to like a guy like Andy May for example, right? Like he would rather try to kill a buck in October because I know where he's I know typically where he's going to want to bed like a handful of places and it's I'll understand whether it's wind based or terrain based or whatever. And then I can make a plan because there should be a level of consistency, you know, with this deer or whatever. Yep. And, and that sounds great. And who's to tell him any different <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Right. But when you look at like data and science, just deer on the whole, right. It might be that specific deer, but deer on the whole don't react, don't act that way, which is interesting. Well you know what I always wonder about that? <clears throat> Cause I just, I just interviewed Andy and I know him really well. Like I always wonder if we go, you know, like it's so easy to say, okay, I, I think this buck's betting right here, right? Like he's in this thicket or he uses this bench or whatever. Then you go out and hunt and here he comes. You're like, yep, I was right. Like, we don't really know that. Like, I mean, unless right. you saw him stand up out of his bed, like who knows? Like you, you might've got around him. It might've been a coincidence or maybe he was betting right there. But so often when things work out like that, especially when you're in the, like the position we are where you're like, I got to tell everybody everything I did. Like it's I'm making right. content out of everything. You end up just kind of being like, yeah, well, you know, they go bed to food, food to bed, or they do this or they cross the river here. But like so often I always wonder, like, are we just filling in the blanks too? Like, I don't, I don't know that that buck was bedded there. 
Right. You know what I mean? Like I, I think about this when the, the last buck I killed in Iowa, I, I think I jumped him out of his bed along the river because mm-hmm. I jumped some deer and they were all ran down. And then, uh, you know, I jumped four deer and I had four deer come back and the first one was a good buck and I shot him and I'm like, okay, that's what happened. But I don't know that. Right. You, you know what I mean? Like I know it you're, you're doing a lot of filling in the blanks, right? Yeah. yeah. And it, it's so easy to just sort of be like, that's why that is, or that's why that happened. And I always wonder like, how much of this are we getting wrong that we're just like saying we got it right? Cause we don't like, who, like, how are you going to prove it? <laughs> how are you going to disprove me? I'm right. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> I think the one thing too, is I'm trying to remember back when I had Andy on the podcast, uh, if he was the one who said this or if it was somebody else, I think it was Andy. Uh, if it, if it isn't, I apologize to people who are listening that I got the person wrong, but it was, it was one of the people who I've had on who are just like killers that consistently kill deer and they do it in the early part of October and it happens almost every year like clockwork to where they look for an efficient hunt right that's what they're looking for right and so it makes sense because you know just we'll just say Andy for example since we we brought him up like if he's looking if he's trying to kill a deer like he's going to spend his time trying to kill the one that he has a bead on not the one that he doesn't have a bead on Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. Right. And so it might take a little while to figure it out. And like, it might not be so much that that deer is consistent, but that he's just figured out like what he likes to do in general, which gives him the, the chance and the opportunity. Right. And so when you target the most efficient kill, right, you, you're going to end up with that. Well, I killed him here where I thought I was going to kill him. Right. Because you focused on the one that was giving you the best odds. Yep. Right. As opposed to the deer that's as opposed to the 99% of the other deer that aren't doing that. Right. Yep. Dude, that's so, that's such a like salient point. And it's, and it's so true. And I'm sure that was Andy. Cause that's his whole thing. Like, oh, he's so you know, efficient. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, like I, I think about that with myself sometimes too. Like, you know, I kill a lot of deer on water and you know, people are always like, Oh, like, what do I do around water? Like you're the water guy. And I'm like, I don't know. I just, it just works for me. Like I right. just understand it. So I, I tend to always like, there's a lot of gravity when you've got a river or you've got like these little stock tanks or something for me personally, cause it's easy for me to understand and like kind of read that situation. Now, if you're like, go travel in four days and kill one standing up in his bed, I'm not going to do it. Like right. I'm not your guy. And so I think you're right. Like, I think we default to these things. And I actually kind of think part of it is not only like we're just comfortable with certain styles or, you know, like focusing on certain things, but I also think it's just kind of like what you enjoy, you know? And like, I don't, we never talk about this, but I've, I've been thinking about this and kind of writing about it with the foundations podcast a little bit. It's like, we, we kind of like present this terminator image of like these big buck killers are like, you know, scouting tons and tons and tons of days. And all they think about is deer and all they do is deer and they're divorced and blah, 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 right on down the line. And it's all about deer. Some people are like that, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people have figured out like, 
to mix like the the hard work with like what they enjoy. Like they figured out a way to just have fun doing this mm-hmm. and they're just freaking killers, man. And it, and that's like part of it is like just doing the things you like to do as long as they work. You know, like you can't right. just be like I like sitting field edges on public land. Well, it's like Good luck. <laughs> it's probably not going to work, right? <laughs> right? But if you find something else that's a little bit like higher level that you start to fall in love with, like a strategy like that or a style of hunting like that, it's really easy to level up if you're if you're having fun. Like, I yeah. mean, it's kind of the secret sauce. Well, then because you start to seek those things out and when you and then what ends up happening is that you're you get so kind of in tune to them and so interested in them, you start to really kind of seek them out in more obscure places. And that becomes the challenge, right? Is like, okay, for example, I love hunting scrapes. Not, 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 not new news, right? It's one of my favorite things to hunt. Yep. And then as I kind of got more and more into it, it's like, it's almost like a challenge for me to like find a, I want to find a primary scrape. that's like super deep in the cover. Not the one that like some people will find. I want to find the one that nobody will find, you know what I mean? And so I get my rocks off on finding that like super obscure little spot that's out of the way, you know, and then. Lo and behold, like, because other people aren't there, the deer are there, you know what I mean? So it's, yep. it's, it's one of those types of things, but I don't know that I've ever asked you this. What is it about your approach to water? Like what is the, what is your secret sauce in, in hunting water? I just have so much faith in it, man. From just what, so from what perspective, from like, could, cro- from a crossing pinch perspective or from everything? Yeah. I mean, I, I like, you know how it is. So I, if you if you take somebody out in the woods, oh, here, here's an example. I, I've been writing about hunting around cattails a lot lately, right? So if you hunt a cattail slough for deer, you're not going into it probably, right? right? Like you're, you're hunting the edge already because if you go in, you're probably screwed, right? Like there's, it's the kind of cover that you're just not going to do yourself any good. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to hunt this trail that just runs parallel around the edge of the cattails. So you'll have the cattails and then some kind of other cover, right? there's always a trail that follows that hard edge and that's pretty good. But what if there is a trail that comes straight out of the cattails too, and they, and they intersect right there. Now you've got two things working for you. Mm-hmm. Like you just, you just doubled your odds. Right. Right. And I always look at stuff like that and go, what, what are, what are the spots where I like, I have so much stuff working for me. And so you think about like a, a river crossing, for example. Yeah. You get those train traps all the time. Right. right. Like you just do. And then you often have a situation where the wind can be played really well because mm-hmm. the deer aren't going to swim down below you or like you, there's a bank or something. So now you have two things working for you. And then you got the fact that deer are thirsty. <laughs> like, right. So now you've got three things working for you. And a lot of times you got another thing working for you, which is there'll be a concentration of deer around water always because there's going to be different kinds of browse there. There's going to be like, there's usually something to work. So you might have four things going and then in the right situation, it's going to be low because water is going to be low typically. So you might have, you know, it might be five degrees cooler down there than it is up on that bench. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always just like, give me as many things that are working in my favor as possible. And then you got the visibility thing a lot of times too. And you know, like that's a, you know, moving water is pretty easy to work. Like when right. you start getting into like ponds or stock tanks, it's different, but you have this usually a concentrated spot where they're going to go, right. you know, like if they come in, they're going to the water. So you have that working for you. It's not like they're going to be, you know, 200 yards away and doing something else. Like they're coming to you. Right. And then it's just a matter of just like reading the situation. And I just, 
man, you find water in cover. And I'm like, okay, I have so much working for me already. And I know that, you know, like, I don't care how nocturnal you are. Like, I don't care if you're seven and a half years old and you're 170 inches and they're like, you've been hunted your whole life. Like you still need to drink every day. Right. You know, like, I just think it's, it's just a, sort of an easy start in a lot of places. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree with that. And that's actually one of the things I'll do when I go to a new place is I'll often look for, for water as like at least at minimum a starting point. Right. Cause for me, if nothing else, I know I'm going to get diversity of habitat usually in those places where it's like, yep. I'm going to get like two different types of habitat that are going to meet. They're going to create some type of edge. And if I know shit about shit, I'm going to start there and then I'll just backtrack deer trails and start following things until I kind of find where I want to be. If, if nothing else, you know, yep. so that's always kind of been, been my approach. But so aside from whitetails, man, what's, uh, what's uh, your, your elk plans, man? I leave actually, as you and I are recording this, I leave in, actually this will come out after I'm gone, but I leave in like three days, I think to, to sling nice. arrows. Yeah. So nice. I, this will be, this will probably drop when I'm gone too. I'm, I'm heading out to Colorado right on the, on the opener. And I actually have, uh, I have an elk tag. I drew a mule deer tag and then I have a bear tag. So I am going freaking critter hunting. <laughs> you are loaded for bear. No pun intended. Well, dude, it's like the, the mule deer thing. My buddy's like, you got to apply. So I applied. I didn't draw. I'm like, doesn't matter. I'll go elk hunting. And then the, ta- the bear tags a hundred bucks. And you're like, Oh, you know, I'm driving, you know, 19 hours to go elk hunt anyway. Like I better, I'll spend a hundred bucks on a bear tag just in case. Right. And then the, uh, even though I didn't draw on the original drawing, 14 tags got turned back in. So he's like, try again. And so I applied for the the deer tag again. And then I drew it that time. And so I'm just, I've got tags for everything. And because of uh, my schedule and my, my buddy's schedule, we're going to sit water at least the first three days mm-hmm. because, you know, I don't know about you, but like I've, I've hunted elk right away on the opener and I've hunted elk way later in the season. And I, you know, I'm not a good elk caller. I've hunt, I hunt with people sometimes who are, but I've just never seen them be that callable, especially the way like Colorado is now. It's, it's like the season almost opens a week early with everybody getting out there and like hiking to every meadow and glassing and blowing on a bugle. And just like, just like there's so much front loaded pressure now that I kind of feel like, man, I'm, I'm not that confident going to call. And so I'm going to go sit on water at least probably three days and just dark to dark it and see who comes in. And right. you know, after that, you know, then we'll probably go roam and see if we can work a bull in or whatever. But, um, I think, I think one of us has a pretty good chance of shooting something on water. Nice. Yeah. I'm, uh, leaving for Northern Idaho here in like three days. So I'll be there for the opener. So the plan is to get out there, I think two days before the opener, and then I think we're going to hike in the night before set up camp and then um, maybe do a little bit of listening that evening to see if we can locate anything. The good thing is, is like my buddy actually lives there. So he's been running some cameras. He's been kind of scouting, you know, he's relatively new there too. He's been there. He's lived there for a year now, but he's, you know, found some historical elk sign and stuff like that. And there's a ton of sign that's in and around there. We have a herd of cows. that's literally living. We actually ended up moving our camp spot back the ridge because when he hung the camera, he went to check it and there was just a herd of elk that were coming through there every day, like clockwork, the same time in the morning, the same time in the evening. Now they're all cows, right? With one like small spike. Um, but knowing that they're going to start moving around, trying to find their cows and start locating their harem. We're like, all right, we're in a good spot because we're near where the cows are at. So we ended what, up moving. What are those cows doing? What, what's he got the camera on? 
He just has it on a trail that's basically going from where he found that they're bedding because he found like a ton of beds. And then that mm-hmm. trail is basically leading them over this ridge. It's basically a saddle through this ridge that they're going down the other side to feed. And, the, and, and then there's water down there as well. So assuming, and it's, I want to say 80% of it's daylight activity. And so wow. we're getting them milling up around, like, because that trail goes through like this meadow. So they're getting up in the middle of the day and milling around, just kind of eating in the meadow as well. Uh-huh. Um, so we have a decent beat on them. So we ended up moving our camp where he went up and scouted and kind of found another camping spot for us to move our camp, probably like half a mile from where we originally were going to be. Cause we were probably only like two tenths of a mile away from where those cows wanted to, to bed. And we were like, yep. eh, probably a little too dicey. And we know there's a bull that's bedded off the point of that mountain because he's kicked him up this summer. And he also saw that bull there last year during the season. So he didn't have a tag cause he was, he was a, new resident. So he hadn't lived there long enough to get a tag. Yep. So he ended up just going and calling for people. And, uh, when he went out he actually saw this bull last year and he was a good bull. And then he found him in the same bedding spot or bedding area again this year when he went to scout, he was like, he's a good, you know, dark timber bull. He's like with whale tails. And he was like, you know, he's like, I don't know a whole lot about elk as far as like how big they are. Or he's not familiar enough to say that was a 330 inch bull. You know, he's, doesn't yep. know that you know he was like um it was a big bull <laughs> he yeah. was like you well, would shoot the first day you know <laughs> so um so we have that going for us so he has some some intel but that's kind of the plan and then from there where we basically have our camp is that there's a couple of drainages that run off that mountain so we're able to basically just get up in the morning and listen actually from our tents mm-hmm. and we should be able to hear anything that's basically around that ridge and any of those drainages that wants to bugle there's not water not far away. So I think our plan is to try to see if we can't locate that bull who's been kind of living in there mm-hmm. and make a play on him. Then maybe go to water. And then if we don't have any action within like the first day or two or whatever, then I think we're going to pull camp and then we're going to start driving and listening essentially. Yeah. And then if we hear something or see something, then jump in and set up camp and, and go from there. I, can you shoot a cow on that tag? I can't. No, oh, I, you can't? I, I, I would if I, if I could, <laughs> so, cause I was like, dude, I will tag out day one. I was like that. Uh, I was like that. That spiker running around with eighteen-inch spikes. He might be yeah. in trouble. <laughs> yeah. I was like, so. Yeah, my my buddy who I'm hunting with. One of the the pond I'll probably start on is like a bachelor pad right now. There's there's a bunch of bulls coming in there, and he's like, "Do not shoot a cow in there." And I'm like, "You know, if a cow comes in, I'm gonna <laughs> shoot it." Like, I just just can't. I like you know, I, you right. don't get that many cracks at an elk when you live in the Midwest or the East. Like, right. Man, yeah. Exactly. Especially, you know, a situation where you might be in a tree stand and it might be like a 20-yard broadside at a cow elk. Like, I'm I'm going to light her up. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah, exactly. We're going to we have heavy packs regardless, so yeah. <laughs> get ready for yeah. it. <laughs> I really like elk meat, and I really don't care about trophy elk hunting a whole lot. So Right. Yeah, I've, yeah. Never, ki- I've never killed one at this point. You know, I've only been one other time, and I had an opportunity at a, at a good bull. My buddy ended up shooting. I think I told you that story before. So we were standing yep. next to each other. It was me or him, depending on which way he turned. And so I just want some elk meat. I'm like, yeah. so, you know, if I could have gotten a cow tag or if I, or if that tag wasn't any sex tag, I would shoot the first cow I, I see and, yep. and call it a day and then just hunt with him and help him, you know, pack out or do whatever he needed to be, to be done or go hang out on late on the lake, you know, for the rest of the week, which wouldn't be a bad option either. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Having just spent uh, five days in Idaho with meat eater, I can say that I would go spend time in Idaho for lots of reasons. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 exactly. I think the hunting's going to be kind of brutal though. I'm looking at the weather. It's going to be hot. Like I think the first day it's like 82 right now. And then 
I think the I think Tuesday it's supposed to, that second day it's supposed to be like eighty eight as a high, yeah. and I'm like, man, that's gonna be a little bit brutal. Yeah. It'll be you know, but it'll get cold at night. You know, I yeah. mean, you'll have you'll have some hours in the morning and some hours in the evenings where it's not bad. Right. You know? Just nap nap during the day. Yeah, I mean that's that's early season elk hunting. Like, you yeah, know, there's there's downtime. Yeah. Well, even when I went to Montana and that was like the second week of September, like the first I was there for two weeks and that first like I want to say like four days was just like we were touching 90 a lot of the mm-hmm. days, you know, it was just brutal. And then all of a sudden the ash dropped out of it to where we had like a 30 something degree night and like a foot of snow, like out of nowhere, yep. you know, yep. but, but that, I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons I like hunting water too, right? Like, I mean, you know, we, we do some of these early season whitetail hunts, even some of these velvet hunts and you're like, man, you know, by 10 o'clock in the morning, it's so hot, but what do you do? You go back to camp. You know, you try to sleep, it's a billion degrees, or you can go sit in a tree over water and read a book or something and maybe kill something, you know? Right. And I, I like that. I've done that. You know, you, I mean, I guess maybe my elk hunts are a little different, but I've never been in a situation where it was like a great idea to hike all the way back to camp for, you know, four hours in the middle of the day. So you either sleep out there on the mountainside or you go, you know, a lot of times just go sit, you know, next to a wallow or a water hole and just hope. And I mean, it's like a, yeah, a freaking low odds deal, right? But you never know. Yeah, but it's just like anything else. It's time, time in tree or time on time in field. You know, yep. it's like if you're there, if you're not there, you're definitely not going to kill it. If you are, at least you have the opportunity if something if something comes by. Yeah, but, and I, dude, I think, you know, I I think that at whitetail hunting, you get really conditioned to just like, okay, I'm going to go out sit now, and then I'm going home, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because most of us are hunting close to home, but then you get it, and when you start traveling, you're like, well. I kind of want to be out there. Yeah. You know, I mean, and like you have nothing else to do. And I just, I kind of love the feeling of loading my pack up for the day and just being like, we're not coming back till dark. And then it's like, now you got to find something to do. Yeah. And you know, a lot of times when you're doing that, you know, like the bull I killed in 2019 out there, I mean, he was bugling at two o'clock in the afternoon and that's how we killed him, you know, right. like, and, and that's an over the counter unit in Colorado on public land. And you're like, well, you know, if you're back at camp or you're in town or something like that's not going to happen. And, you know, you might have 10 years of elk hunting and not have that happen too. But I just like, I like the feeling of heading out going, well, we got all day. Let's find something to do. Yeah. It's uh, that's our plan. Our plan is to stay in that general area pretty much the whole time. Cause there's so much terrain like around there that you could hunt that area for, for forever and be, and be good and be good to go. Yep. Um, and we have a camera guy that's actually coming with us. It's going to film it. Uh, the guys from Spartan Forge are actually sending a camera guy with me to film to, to film the whole dealie. So nice. hopefully something good comes comes out of it. That would be it. Listen, I don't want to curse you, but you really don't want to screw up a shot on elk on film. Uh, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, man, uh, it was almost like you planned that segue. I was going to ask you about shooting because um, I've kind of – Speaking of, like, so that is like my, my worst nightmare. It already happened to me once with tethered where I hit a deer and it wasn't, I put a good shot on it. I just clipped the small branch that you had to play it back in super slow-mo to even see that the branch was there. There was no way like my eye was going to pick it up in real time with the shadows and shit. It was so tiny, yep. um, but clipped that and then lost that deer. So I've had that happen already and it sucks. And so I'm, I'm mindful of that. And so, you know, I usually shoot my bow a lot and I stay really dialed in. However, over the past, like probably year and a half ish or so I've had like, I won't say a nag, you know, it's been a nagging shoulder injury. Like I've, I've got a tear, a, a torn labrum that I need surgery, but it's not bad enough to where I actually have to have the surgery unless I can't tolerate 
and it gets super weak. So I just do a lot of physical therapy and lifting and stuff like that to kind of keep my shoulder strong. That way I can put off, put off, uh, put off surgery. However, it's, it's born from dislocating that shoulder a couple times and just the repetitive motion of constantly shooting. Cause it's my riser arm, right? So yep. it's that constant bracing pressure. And so in order to not be in pain and hurt my shoulder more, I've actually dialed back my shooting more than I ever have to where I don't shoot nearly as often as I used to. I try to shoot quality arrows in a, in a few of them every week, as opposed to like five days a week shooting 50 arrows or 60 arrows or whatever yep. the case is. I'll go out three days a week and each session I might shoot eight arrows, you know, and, and then that's it, you know, and I just try to make them quality. So I'm curious what, uh, how much are you shooting during the summer these days? Not much. Um, I, I did the same thing or well, similar in 2015. I tore a muscle in my shoulder, a uh, partial tear in my supraspinatus muscle. And, you know, I dialed back to 55 pounds just so I could shoot. And I had an incredible year shooting that bow. And it was, I think it was because I knew every time I drew that bow, like, you don't, you're not giving yourself any mulligans this year, man. Like you got to make this stuff count. And it kind of changed how I look at this stuff. Like I don't, I'm not, I used to love shooting bows. I used to love it. And then, you know, I was the equipment editor for bow hunter for 10 years and I set up so many bows and I shot so much that I just burned myself right to the ground on it. And now I look at a bow press and I'm like, Oh, like <laughs> I, know, I know it's like a dumb thing to bitch about, but I don't even, I just, I, I'm like, I just got wore out on it and I got wore out on having to shoot all the time. And so now I really, I do, you know, most days of the weeks I'll shoot like 20 arrows, mm -hmm. you know, maybe, maybe some days I'll shoot like eight, you know, like I don't, I don't go nuts and right. I, and I don't, I don't shoot a lot of like groups at bullseyes anymore. Like I don't, I, I kind of figured out, I don't know if it's just me, but I don't shoot spots very well, mm -hmm. but I shoot 3d targets pretty well. <laughs> and I don't know why, I don't know if it's partially tied to my shooting style. I have a pretty quick shooting style, mm -hmm. um, or I, I, well, for whatever reason. And so I'll go out and I've got some 3d targets in my yard and it's just, you know, maybe a group at 20, 30, 40, 50. And, you know, I'm shooting a, a single pin adjustable. So a lot of times I'll go, you know, I'll start with one just to make sure at 20 or whatever, and I'll just walk back, range it. Okay. 26 dial to 26. Then I'll walk back and range it. Okay. 33, 39, 42, whatever, and shoot those odd ranges. And just, I, I love those sessions where, you know, if you say you shoot 20 arrows and every one of them's good, mm -hmm. like every one of them's in the, in I the love those days. hearts those are or awesome. the lungs. And you're yeah. like, okay, like that's, that's all I needed. Cause I, I realized too, like shooting spots, if I, you know, even if I miss by a little bit, I'm like, that's a miss that I'm the same way, dude. Same way. Yeah. And it's dumb. Cause yeah. when you look at a, you know, even if you shoot a little, I, I'm shooting that little Reinhardt one third elk a lot mm -hmm. just cause I have it. Right. And you know, that's a little target and you think, okay, well, you know, if you're off a couple inches on that at like 40 yards, it's still in that little targets lungs. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like the size of a little antelope. And then, but if you're off on a bullseye, it's like a mental thing. And so I just, I kind of have, I do that for like sighting in. And if I do really long range stuff, sometimes I start with a, you know, something with a really high contrast target. Phase. Same, same way. If I'm doing that, I, I do the same thing, especially like I just, you know, got my broadheads dialed in. So I was shooting spots at 60 yards, 15, 60 yards with broadheads just to make sure I wasn't getting any weird. Not that I'm going to take that shot at an elk because where I'm hunting in Northern Idaho, it's I'm, max would probably be 40 yards in a meadow, you know, yep. like, and I'm not going to get very many meadows there, you know? Yeah. So 
but shooting beyond what my effective kill range is just to kind of stay stay tight. And so I will shoot spots for that. But once I get that done, I kind of go away from it and I'm just trying to put it on put it on kill zone. That's what I'm yep. trying to do at that point. Yeah, me too. I and I don't know you know, I don't I don't know if it's just a personal thing or what. Like I you I mean I mean everybody's different, but I I really think shooting at 3D targets is important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I really Great. do. You know, I I think that people get real accustomed to a a bright bullseye or a bright diamond or something and it's not just it's not necessarily the best way to get yourself ready. Well, I think too, like and I noticed that I do this, you know, whenever I'm just watching, like I'll watch deer videos, you know, like on on YouTube or I'll look back at like trail camera videos that I have and stuff like that. And I'll watch deer stop and I'll mentally look at it and go, all right, let let him take one more step, his shoulders back. And I kind of walk myself through those things. And I try to think that think through those things whenever I'm shooting 3d targets, like even though that target's not moving, I would say, all right, well, let's pretend he's moved his shoulder back. And the only shot I have is with his shoulder back, like with his, yep. with his leg that's t- toward me broadside back and his leg opposite of me you know, taking a step to where that shoulder now is covering part of those vitals, right? Yep. If that's the only shot I have, where am I placing this arrow? You know, and yep. so I try to go through that stuff as well. That way it's like, there's still a killable shot there, you know, and, and can you make it? I want to know that now versus later. Yeah, dude, I think conditioning yourself to think about point of impact and your arrow trajectory through an animal is so important. I mean, yeah. you see, you see new hunters make that mistake a lot where it's like three inches behind the shoulder, halfway up. It's like, well, yeah, if he's perfectly broadside, maybe, you know, and his shoulder's not back. Right. Cause then you're dealing with shoulder blade and like everything else you got to get through. Exactly. And then, you know, you think about when you watch a lot of deer just do their thing. I mean, you know, they reach around and they scratch their nose with their hoof and it changes the entire orientation of their body or they hear something and they crane their body one way or another that you, like you said, they take a step and that shoulder moves. And so, you know, a 3d target that you can pivot a little bit and, you know, shoot some angled shots, you know, quartering two, quartering away. You just think about like, what do I have to do now to get through everything? And it's so often not just a, a, standard broadside shot and that's that's one of the things like with my little girls i've i realize we take for granted if you've shot a lot of deer because mm-hmm. it's like ingrained you're like yeah. you're always thinking like okay how's this body position now where where do i gotta hold that pin to make this work but with kids it's like hard to describe that like because you're like here's where the heart and lungs are now you turn that it's there and it never moves that's their mind yeah, right well, yeah i mean then you turn that target and now you're like, okay, I, I know I told you to aim here, but now I need you to aim three or four inches back. And they're like, why? And it, you, you, you know, and you explain yeah. it, but it's like, it's not just like an instinctive thing. It's like not inherent in us to think about that. And I, I think that, you know, I, I preach this a lot and I argue with Kenyon on this all the time, but I'm like, man, when you, when you get into a position where you kill like five, six, seven, eight deer a year, you get pretty conditioned to thinking about that stuff. Right. And if you're just like, it's, you know, one sixties or bust and you're not hunting, you know, a banging farm in Iowa, like you might not get an opportunity a year to shoot a deer. And so now you're in a position where you're going to get that shot and you're going to screw it up. Like yeah. it's just, cause it's so not something you're going to be comfortable with. Yeah. And you know, you always have to say this, like don't use deer as target practice. Like, you, you want to use them. Like you want to appreciate that opportunity and like be ethical about it. But like, man, the people who've been on a lot of does and g- gone through the whole young buck thing and like are, you know, have killed a lot of deer 
or what it, whatever mm-hmm. they they're thinking through that shit on a different way. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like any of the you can speak to this too, just because of how long you've been doing podcasts and stuff like that, and how long you've been in the space. It's like any any killer that you meet has killed a lot of deer, not just a lot of big deer. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, I was just talking uh, out at this meat eater thing. I was talking to a guy who's he's kind of one of our guys, like kind of a satellite guy who's. Mm-hmm. You know, people are looking to him for like bow hunting advice. And he told me, he's like, I've only killed 12 big game animals with a bow. And I was like, <laughs> right. You know, I've, you know, I've had seasons where I've killed 12, you know, and like <laughs> right. literally like not, right. not even joking. And so you just look at that and go, wow, like it's, it's crazy kind of to think about that. And so there's just some, and I like, I'm not shitting on the guy. Like there's just some stuff where you look at and go, there's no way to know, to know, know, know this stuff without tons of experience. Yeah. Like it's just, you just unlock certain things when you get there and I don't care what you listen to. I don't care how many like hunting public videos you watch. It's not going to get you to that spot without you doing it yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just like anything. There's no, there's no replacement for experience. Yeah. You know, it's like if you have it, then awesome. If you don't have it, you should be seeking to have it. That's kind of the, yep. the net net of it, right? So, I mean, we talked about a little bit about, you know, things that make a difference, you know, specifically archery, right? Like how we're kind of approaching shooting me with a busted up shoulder. You went, you went through that, talking about anticipating shot angles and just having that experience. So you kind of can, can think, through, think through those types of things. You know, I'm always interested to see what people do, like with their, their free time or just like in their personal life or whatever that's... um not necessarily hunting related, but actually helps them prepare for the hunting season. If that makes sense. So is there anything that you do? And maybe it's like, maybe it's that it, it creates an opportunity for you to think about hunting differently, even maybe even not even per se the hunt that's coming up this year. So maybe it's two things. Maybe it's like, is there something that you think about or that you do that makes you think about hunting differently? And then it, it might be the same thing, but is there something that you do outside of hunting that you use that actually helps you in hindsight that helps you for your se- with your season? Man, there's a lot of stuff. I'm. It's a lot know, to I'm, unpack. I know. Sorry. It, it is. <laughs> I mean, I really think I think one of the keys to being, you know, being a good hunter who really enjoys it is just like never get out of that like just desire to learn phase. And it's not people. People are always like, well, yeah, I'm listening to the podcast. Like I'm. I'm reading articles and it's like, no, 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 not about hunting. Right. Like I was just so at, at this meteor deal, I was talking to Sam Soholt and we got on the topic of space and I'm just a space nerd. I love mm. it. Like, I think it's badass. And so does Sam. And so we started talking about that and I like, there's just like so many areas of life where you can learn interesting shit that you don't know. You know, like I know you play guitar, like I play guitar, like learning new songs and, and stuff like that, like working out, like challenging yourself. I think I think everything you do like that, that keeps your brain and your body going is good for deer hunting. And I know people don't want to hear that because we've like, you know, we're kind of like sour on this message of like working out and stuff for the, for the Western thing. Cause we've heard it a billion times, it's been right. hammered into our head, but really like you want to learn about yourself, you know, go run a thousand miles in a year. You know what right. I mean? Like you want to learn about yourself, like go to the gym all winter long and see if you see like see where you end up after five months of that, you know, like you, you'll be a better hunter because of it, even though it's like, so not directly feeding into hunting in any way. Like, I think, I think we're just so used to kind of like 
having all this information at our disposal and really kind of just taking it for granted and still not really doing something with ourselves to like learn more and right. just try to challenge ourselves. And that's like, man, you want to be a good hunter? Like these, these guys like Andy and, you know, Zach Farrenbaugh, you, you talk to these guys behind the scenes, like they're all freaks like they're all working out hard and like they're disciplined people who are like driven by just a desire to do like hard shit and you know like that if you think like you know zach trail running or andy going to the gym is like not feeding their hunting success that's crazy because yeah. it is like it's a mindset thing that dude you hit the nail on the freaking head with that because that was so i started thinking about this more um when I started doing jujitsu because so I wrestled growing up, you know, loved wrestling growing up and always liked grappling still watch it, still watch Penn state wrestling. I watch high school, Pennsylvania high school wrestling because it's one of the best wrestling states in the country, you know, for high school. So I'll watch like the state tournament and stuff like that. Um, and I started doing jujitsu because it's, it's like grappling and I wanted to, I wanted to do it again. Um, have wanted to for years. And so finally there's a gym that's close to me. I'm lucky that I have a really like, senior level coach to where he's like a four stripe black belt, like, and he fought professionally, had a winning record professionally and like one of the professional MMA circuits. Like he's a legit gorilla and would smack like his, his fist is like the size of my whole head. You know what I mean? Like that type of thing. Yep. Um, and started taking it and, you know, I've been doing it for, a, you know, at this point now, when this goes out, probably like five, five ish months plus whatever, five plus months. And I think the th biggest thing for me that it made me kind of, like think about or kind of come to a realization of is that, you know, you start to think about yourself a lot or like do a little bit of self-reflection whenever you're, when you're faced with, let me back up for a second. I think when people are just, we'll use hunting as an example. If you're super into hunting and you're into trying to kill big deer and, and you don't for whatever reason, there's a hundred reasons why you could say why that didn't happen. Right. Like, and I don't want to say they're excuses and you could say that they're legitimate reasons. Right. And maybe some of them are out of your control or not, but there's a little bit of like a warm blanket you can put around yourself because it's like, well, you know, the deer sometimes wins and, you know, and, and, and I gave it everything I could, you know, but did you, you know, <laughs> did you really, or are you just kind of using that warm blanket to wrap around yourself that it's a wild animal and that, you know, it's okay that you didn't get the job done. Um, and that you didn't succeed, you know, whatever that definition is. Cause we have a whole conversation around what success looks like, but it's starkly different whenever you're doing something like jujitsu and the, it's a, a zero sum game. Like that guy's going to choke you or he's not right. And it's only you who has the keys, you know, or the tools to try to keep that from happening. Right. And so you quickly learn a lot about yourself, not in, not in losing, but in whether or not you want to console yourself in that loss or whether you're, or whether you're going to seek to understand why that person beat you and what was the problem they posed that I couldn't solve. Yep. Right. Cause that's really all jujitsu is, is them is your opponent posing problems to you that you ultimately have to solve. And then you solve that problem, what poses their a problem to them. And then they have to solve that problem. And so, and so for me, it related a lot to deer hunting to where I was like, it's a constant back and forth chess massive match of me posing a problem to the animal, the animal posing a problem back to me. And it's not necessarily that I'm winning or losing. It's just, am I assessing it honestly? And am I trying to make myself feel better because I don't want to do the work? 
So if I don't want to do the work at jujitsu, I'm going to continue to get choked out by a rear naked choke until I learn how to defend it. You know what I mean? That deer is going to continue to beat me until I investigate why he continues to beat me and do the work to figure out why he continues to get one up on me. Doesn't mean I win the next round. Doesn't mean I win the next round in the next five practices. But if I continue kind of exploring that and challenging myself to accept the fact that I wasn't good enough that day and figure out why, eventually I'll get there, you know, and and it's part of the journey, right? But the journey only is... It's only there if you're willing to do the hard work, right? And there's a, there's a quote that I think is perfect for deer hunting too that I kind of picked up from the jujitsu kind of world is that I was listening to like this high-end coach talk about students and he was like, I've never seen anyone who wants to be good at jujitsu not be good at jujitsu because it's all you. It's all yep. whether or not you and, – and the thing is, is it doesn't matter how long it takes you. It's your own individual journey, right? And it's the same thing for – bow hunting, whitetails, big whitetails, small whitetails, whatever it is, anyone. And I think it holds true. I don't know that I've ever seen anyone who wanted to be really good at bow hunting, whitetails, not be good at it. It may not happen next year or in two years, but if that's something you really want to do and you're committed, it will happen. Yeah. You know, it's definitely not going to happen in a year or two. (laughs) Right. Same thing with jujitsu. I mean, you're, I mean, you're a beginner, even when you get a blue belt in jujitsu, like you're still technically a beginner. You've just learned how to keep from people just completely beating your ass. Yep. is essentially what you've learned, you know what I mean? And that's when you start really learning how to be aggressive and like yep. execute dominant positions. And, you know, and that can take some people it takes two years, some people, people it takes five, yep. you know what I mean? And that's the thing. It's like, we put this thing on ourselves that we have to do it in certain, a certain time frame because we've listened to all these podcasts and I've heard all these things. And I know all the stuff, but why can't I do it? It's like, well, because you got to be willing to go out there and do it. And then whenever it doesn't work, you got to be willing to do the hard work of figuring out why it didn't work and then adjust. Yep. Well, dude, I mean, I I've said this a long time. Like, I don't know if there's a group out there that loves excuses more than hunters. Oh man. And, yeah. I mean, we, we freaking love them and we do And We've all done it. I'm not yeah. saying I don't yeah. like, oh, believe me. Guilty as charged, man, for but, sure. You know, I, I look at that too and I go, you got to control the things you can control. And just as an example, like here in Minnesota, I hear people bitch constantly about the wolves and I get it. I've, I hunt around wolves. It sucks. Right. But it's not like all the deer are gone. So what are you going to do? Like you can't get rid of the wolves. Right. So what's mm-hmm. next? Or, you know, I did, I had a conversation with somebody last week who said, you can't go to Nebraska and kill a good buck on public land. Cause the non-residents kill all the, you know, the young bucks before they grow up. And I was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> Like, I've killed some pretty big bucks on public land down there. And I know quite a few people who have, but if that's your mindset, like it's somebody else has taken this away from me. So I have an excuse to not be successful. That's pretty convenient. Yeah. You know, sure. I mean, I, I guess, or you could even look at it in a broader scale and say, there's whole States, you know, Minnesota is a prime example. There's, you know, we have the earliest gun season in the country, just about, you know, November 5th this year, 500,000 people in the woods. You don't get to bow hunt the rut and, you know, it's so common for people to say all of our bucks get killed before they get mature. And yet without question, <laughs> there's big bucks out there in a lot of different places in places that people don't expect in places with shitty habitat and places with good habitat. But if you go into it and go, I don't have access to three and a half year old plus bucks because they were all killed. That's a great excuse to not get them. Mm-hmm. So you're already saying before I even start, I don't have a chance. So my failure is okay because it's out of my control and it's all bullshit. Like there's, everybody has a chance. And then I, I always think about that and I go, okay, if you 
if that were true, if, if you lived in a state, I don't care what state it is, and there was so much hunting pressure that you never had a buck make it past two and a half year old, then you should be hunting two and a half year olds. Right. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like <laughs> it's such a, I mean, I think that's the one thing like, you know, again, talking about how things outside of hunting has, have helped shape how I look at hunting. Like if, if I go into train a day, you know, my expectation changes with each partner that I roll with of what I'm, of what my goal is for that, for that particular role. Like you should have a plan, just like hunting, you should have a plan, you know? Yep. And so if I'm rolling with a guy and maybe, you know, I have a wrestling background. So sometimes I, I won't say I have an advantage cause I'm still super new, but there's a little bit of like grappling experience that I have. And so sometimes maybe a guy who's been doing it a year, who's not super athletic, for example, it's like, that's a guy that I might be able to get into some dominant positions and work some stuff. Right. And yep. so, and after you roll with guys for like a little while, like you kind of understand what people like to do and if, how athletic they are and whatever. And so you start to set, you know, so for me, like a, some people I'm like, this is a person that as I'm progressing, that I should be in some dominant positions and I should have some chances to work some submissions or whatever. Right. Then there's other dudes that I roll with there that are like, I'm just trying to survive the next five minutes, like without getting choked, you know what I mean? Like, and that's success for that round. Right. Cause that person is better than me. And I'm going to learn a ton, but, and through that, I got to give my best effort and see if I can just avoid from getting in a bad, bad spot. Or if I get in bad spots, I need to be able to get out of at least one of them. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's setting those like goals up, those milestones to be able to kind of check off, to know that you're making progress. Like if you walk like to your points, like if you only have two and a half deer, deer, deer on this piece of public land and your goal is to shoot a five-year-old, like, what are you doing? You know what yeah. I mean? Like there's, there's, there's zero chance that's going to happen. Right. Yeah, time to go golfing. Right. Time to go golfing. But like, if you know that that's what you have, then you say, you know what, I'm going to shoot a two and a half year old and I want to find one. And then I, or, you know, I want to, I want to follow, I want to chase the changing food sources this October and see if I can successfully do that and find the hot food sources so I can get on deer consistently. And then I'm going to shoot a two and a half year old. Right. Like not that I'm just going to go sit and wait for the first one to come by me, put some kind of like parameters around it that helps you kind of elevate your hunting. Right. Like that's the whole, that's the whole idea. It's not, not a pity party and maybe it's not taking the easy route, you know, put some things around it that helps you actually, actually develop that way. When you do get the chance to go out of state or you do get the chance to hunt somewhere that has the caliber you want to chase, you now have the requisite tools to actually go in and compete. Yep. Well, and you know what I think is another sort of a, I don't know, a, sort of a side thing to that that's really important we never talk about is one of the best ways to motivate yourself as a hunter to like get better is to figure out how to freaking love the venison. Yeah. Like figure out, figure out how to cook it, figure out how to process, process it yourself, like own that part. And then, you know, because I know personally, like we, we love it. Like in my house, that's all we eat. And I don't, I feel like a huge failure now if my freezer is not freaking full at the end of the season. And so you look at that and you go into it and you go, okay, for my family, that might be, you know, three deer, it might be five deer, it might be six deer, whatever it is. And man, that's a powerful motivator right there because then you're like, now it's not just, you know, that maybe unattainable buck size, right? Like we always set up like, oh, I, I want that. I want a mature buck, you know, nice 130, 140, whatever. Like, man, that's a tough thing to do in most places. Like yeah. you're, you're going to get very few chances at it. But if you, if you reframe it and go, 
And I would really be really happy if I had three deer in the freezer and it was three good shots. Now you go out and okay, that doe that poses up that morning and you've got all day to butcher her. Like now you're waiting for your good shot. You're going through that process of shooting and blood trailing and all that. Like, okay, you're like a third of the way there. And then you shoot another one. And now you're like, okay, the last one's going to count. Like I'm going to make this one count because I don't want it to end but you're just stacking up experience in a way. And, you know, you, obviously you get the benefit of the freaking meat too, but it's like, it's just like a little way to get yourself into it where you're like, man, this is, this is becoming more important to me overall. Like you're, you're owning it more and man, it helps you level up big time. Right. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier with like the only one way to be a killer is to be a killer. Right. Yep. And so if you start stacking them up and filling your freezer, you know, you're killing multiple birds with one, with one stone. You know, yep. you're the deer, uh, the experience is increasing in value because you added more, you've placed more meaning on it. Right. And now you're having additional experiences of releasing an arrow on a, on a live animal, you know, which is, you know, to your benefit. And whenever it does come time where you get the opportunity to be in the situation where you're hunting the caliber of deer that you want to hunt or having the experience that you want to have. Yep. Right. Yeah. That's the, I mean, I think the hard part too is, is like, and I know, I think you touched on it a little bit. Um, and one of your foundations podcasts that I, I was listening to that I was, I was loving was the, you know, the, the impact of social media Ugh. and how much of a role it plays and how we frame and how we frame some of this stuff. Because, I mean, I think for most of us and, you know, for most of the people who are listening, the, like, this is all, this is all of our favorite time, time of year. Right. This is like the time of year that we really look forward to falls here for some of us. Hunting seasons have started for others. It's going to be right around the corner. Right. And we get so jacked up for it. And but there's also a part of me that lo that loathes this part of the season because it's just a nonstop drip of just sh like horse shit like <laughs> on social media, you know what I mean? And it like, and I, and I, and I pull away from it a lot, you know what I mean? Where I just started like turning it off. I'm like, I ain't even looking anymore. Like I'll post stuff for the podcast so people know that it's out and whatever, but I'm not really participating necessarily. Right. Yep. Um, and I've done that because it used to drive me crazy. You know, it's like, I would look at it and be like, man, everyone and their mother is killing big deer except for me, you know, or seeing deer except for me. And, but the thing is, is like, we have to remember, like, these are all curated lives. Like none of that shit is real. Yep. You know, oh, it's like, <laughs> and it, and that's, and that's the part that like you lose, if you're not careful, you lose track of that. And yep. it can really, it can really have a negative impact on like, not just from a hunting perspective, like where you're at mentally, but just like where you're at mentally in general, you yep. know, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I know you have strong feelings about it, but that's, it's, it's the part that I probably look forward to the least when a hunting season's rolling around. Oh yeah. It sucks bad. I hate it. And it, we, we got into this conversation. We sound like old men right now. <laughs> Dude, I can't, I can't remember who I was talking to last week about this, but we got on the topic of like 125 inch bucks and cause somebody had made a comment about a little 125 incher. Mm -hmm. And I was like, there's no little 125 inches. Like that's just not how it works. Like if you see a 125 inch buck coming down the trail, that's a good deer. Like right. 99.5. 7% of people are picking up their bow or their gun and their freaking heart rate is through the roof. That's a big deer. Mm -hmm. And if you just take this, like the sample, like the, the biased sample of social media, you'd be like, that is not a big deer, mm -hmm. right? Like you'd be like, that is not that special of a deer. But in the real world for almost everyone, 
that's an amazing deer. Like that's going on the wall, private land, public land. I don't yep. care what state you're in. Like even, even in the premier states, most of the people who are hunting there, you know, not the guys like we're talking about that travel to hunt and are like in the industry or whatever. Like if you live in Iowa and 125 incher comes down the trail, an awful lot of people are shooting that deer instantly. Right. You know what I mean? But we just have this perception of like, well, like you said, everybody's killing big ones. And like, you know, I, you start to see this with like the same bucks show up over and over again, or, you know what I mean? Like different <laughs> angle of the same deer. And you're right. It is just bullshit. And it's like, it's so boiled down to like the absolute, like best thing I can show you. Like, yeah. what's the best part of my life I can show? Oh my God, my, my relationship with my wife is so great. Look at us on the pontoon loving each other to death. And it's like, yeah, what about like the rest of the time? What about <laughs> you know the rest what I mean? of the day, whatever she threw the beer bottle at you? You yeah, know what I mean? Like, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, nobody, and it, you know, this is not the nature of this, this, you know, that medium, but it's like, you know, just think how many days you hunt where you blank. Like think how many days you're, you're out there or. I mean, like you literally don't see a deer mm -hmm. or you have stretches where you don't see a deer or you go out and you forget your release in the truck or you like, you know, you just make dumb decisions. Nobody's posting that stuff. Right. You know what I mean? Like if that, if we posted the reality of our lives, it would be like nonstop boring stuff that made us look dumb. Yeah. You know, instead it's this just highly curated bullshit, this disingenuous look at our lives. Like, look how awesome I am without, you know, without me telling you how awesome I am, I'm going to show you. It drives me freaking crazy. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, you know, you know, it, it, and it goes beyond hunting. Like it's just, it's, it's a little bit of, it's a little bit of a cesspool. And, and I think it's, it, I think it's pretty obvious in hunting as well, just like how it creates these tribes, right? Like I've, I've never seen so much kind of like infighting as I do whenever I jump on like, you know, like a Pennsylvania hunting page or something like that. I mean, it's just like, it's like when hunting season starts, it's like, fortunately the, I know a couple of the guys that run some of those pages and they do a good job of trying to keep like weed out the, the morons and, and stuff like that. But inevitably, you know, you'll have someone kind of sneak in or they're having a bad day or whatever. And they're just going to blast someone for, what weapon they used or what deer they shot or they don't know what yep. they're doing or like whatever it is. And I'm like, I don't have enough time in my day to care about that. No, nope. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. I'm like, maybe I'm in the wrong career or something <laughs> or something. Maybe I would have more time if I did what those guys <laughs> did. You know what I mean? Because I don't have enough time to like write responses to stuff online, you know? Yeah, dude. I know. I, I think about this so often and I'm, maybe I'm a bad example cause I'm a really sarcastic dude. So people probably think I bring a lot of bad shit into the world, but I really look at it and I go like, you can, you can ruin someone's day in a heartbeat. Yeah. Like you can, you can bring something shitty into the world just with a comment, like some snide thing and you can walk away, but you've made the world worse. Mm -hmm. Why? Like why, why do that? Like why, what, what's the point of doing that? Like, why are you doing that to other people? It doesn't make sense to me. It's so freaking dumb and so counterproductive. And I, I just don't understand it. And then, you know, this whole thing with like, like the small buck shaming and stuff like that, I'm like, man, I could not give a shit. I, I don't care what other people shoot. Like yeah. I, at all. Like I really, I'm like, go do you, I don't freaking care. And I don't know why people get so worked up about what other people kill. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the old adage. If you just 
spent that amount of time that you spent caring about what other people did or thought of you focusing on fixing the things you have to fix of yourself, you'd be way further ahead in the game. Right. And that's just kind of how I, how I look at it. It's like, I can either respond and get, and be part of that and get sucked into the, the vortex of stress and being angry about someone who I'm never going to meet, never going to talk to, you know, aside from this, where I can just remove myself from it and be, and be done with it and act, act as if it never, as if it never happened. Yeah, you know? dude, we're, we're not supposed to talk to strangers. Like, no, it's like, we, <laughs> you I don't take we candy from them. Like, <laughs> yeah. What we were taught, you know, we grew up at a time when kids were getting kidnapped like crazy and that like, that was like drilled home in your head. And I really think like, we're not meant to communicate with strangers. Like it doesn't, it's so not beneficial for most of us. Like, I just, I just don't think it is. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I mean, if you think about, if you go back to, you know, early man, it's like they, they weren't communicating. I would be curious to see if they had more, not healthier lives. Cause we know that they struggled because of, you know, the, the challenges they had with procuring foods and things of that nature. But I'd wonder if socially they were more, um, I don't want to say happy, maybe content is the right word. If, if socially they were more content with their smaller groups without as much inside influence, not saying that I'm not being a, uh, what you call it here where I, I don't want outside influence. Cause I think understanding other cultures and other people and other ways of thinking, I think all those things are, are great. I think where you have a rub is whenever small groups within those groups want to force idea or force opinion or whatever and shame you because yours isn't the same or whatever the case yeah. is. That's where the rub is. Yeah. I think there's a, I, I think there's like some kind of evolutionary problem we have or something where we, we overweight, we overvalue opinions about ourselves or like, mm-hmm. you know, or, or, or opinions about things that we've kind of made up our mind on, like our own opinions. And it's, it's really bad. Mm-hmm. Like we really shouldn't care what strangers think about us. We really shouldn't care what strangers believe about like politics and other hot button issues. Like, you know, and I, and I know like we are supposed to be engaged and all this stuff. Like I understand that, but like what one individual says about something like uh, we, we, it's like we're hardwired to care too much about it and it's so not good for us. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing too, not to bring the jujitsu stuff back into the fold, but it, it almost forces you to like be more, uh, focused, more, more inward mm-hmm. because that's where all the solutions are. I mean, you can, you know, your coach can show you certain things and stuff like that, but like all the solutions and everything you need is, is within your grasp, you know, you just have to be in tune enough to kind of, you know, explore yourself a little bit, you know, and, well, and understand yourself better. Oh, you know, dude. I, I mean, we, and it's again, humbling, you know, and it's humbling. It, it, it levels such the pecking order for you really, really quick. Like I have an, I have an opinion that people that I won't say bully online cause I hate that word, but those folks who create that uh, strife online, if you will, I oftentimes feel like they haven't had, you know, enough real challenges in life that weren't problems or barriers that they've made themselves. Right. Cause I think there's a difference, right? Like if you're constantly making your own problems and getting in your own way, like you've got a problem aside from like of doing hard things because the hard things you're being asked to do are just you trying to get out of your own way. Right. Yeah. I think there's a difference whenever you seek hard things, kind of going back to what you were talking about with Andy and Zach, like doing hard things to get ready for hunting season. Like that's the thing that I had the epiphany about myself whenever I started doing this was 
I was like, man, why do I like bow hunting so much? Why do I like jujitsu so much? Like, and it came down to, I just like doing things that are really hard because I like to see who I am and what I'm actually made of. You know well, what I mean? Oh, big time. I mean, there's nobody that's responsible for your happiness, but you. Right. And I, I think this is a big problem we have. And it, it's not just, you know, in this country, like it's worldwide right now where we're looking for somebody to be like, who's responsible for my unhappiness. And we can find people all over. Mm -hmm. Right. But really it's just on you. Like there's, there's, you know, like, Oh my, it's my boss. Like, do you have to work there? Right. You know, like, do you have to work for him? Like, Oh, it's my, my wife or my teacher or whatever. Like somebody is always responsible for your happiness. And it's easy. Like it's easy to point that finger, but it's really just on you. Like you've right. got to control what you can control. And like I never, until I quit drinking and I started working out, I didn't understand that. Like I was, mm -hmm. I was not happy. And I didn't, you know, like you're always finding a reason for that. And then now, you know, if somebody sends me something shitty or whatever, I don't respond until I go for a run mm -hmm. and I'll get freaking fired up and then I'll go run six, seven, eight miles. And I come home and I go, I don't care. Like, right. I, like I literally don't care what you think anymore. Like you're a stranger. What you can have this opinion about me, whatever, go nuts, man. Right. <laughs> like, Shit talk all you want. I don't care. You're never going to come up to me and say that. Like, this is just, it just is what it is. And when you, when you start to own that part, it's just like, okay, like this, there's, you know, nobody else is going to control this for me. Like, yeah, people can come in and they can be shitty to you and they can knock you down for a little while. Or maybe you do have a shitty boss, but like if you're doing things for yourself that way, that are challenging instead of sitting there wallowing in it, man, it's, it's good. Like you're going to, you're going to get someplace like, and not, not like Sesame street happy. Right. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, don't, yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that's the, that's the kind of misconception, right. It's like, you know, I'm the same way. It's like when I started, you know, being more physical, you know, however many years ago that was and working out and paying attention to those things more. So, um, all of a sudden, not coincidentally, I became a happier, more content person, became more confident, like all those things that lead to like you being happy. Cause it, it now, it now is dependent less on people who aren't me or my wife or my daughter, you know what I mean? Like there's a handful of people where, yeah, happiness is somewhat tied to them because they're important to me, you know, and that, and that makes sense. But aside from that, you know, it, it, it it's really more about what, what are, what am I doing? You know, how am I, how am I manifesting this myself? And my wife and I were literally having a, a chat before you and I jumped on where she like read this study today where she was like, they've found or some researcher found that, um, there's three things that are key that are primary to your, to your happiness. One is uh, hard exercise. Two is the amount of sleep that you get. And three is the amount of uh, social activity that you, that you have at least once a week. Like, so good sleep working out during the course of the week and at least one social activity a week. And it's better. It's even better for your happiness. If that social activity is scheduled. And I was like, huh, I was like, that's interesting. You know what I mean? I was like, so it's a little bit of structure, a little bit of discipline, you know, and, uh, and, and understand and listening to your body and resting, yeah. you know it, what I mean? It's, it's not rocket science. No. And it, I just earlier today, we, we filmed a bunch of dog training tips for some meat eater stuff. And, you know, I'm explaining like, why, why does a dog do this? Or like, why, why is this beneficial to a dog? It's always the same shit as with us. You know, like we need, we need to be challenged. We need to use our bodies and our brains and we need to like, we need to solve a problem. 
Like mm-hmm. solve some kind of puzzle, like get into a task and get through something hard. Then you feel better. Like it's yeah. like you literally take the edge off that way. And, you know, with a dogs, it's pretty simple, right? Like maybe it's maybe it's working on double blind retrieves or doing some hunt dead stuff or something like that. With us, it's something else, but it's not that far off. Like yeah. It really isn't. And we we tend to look at it like we're so special and so different from a lot of other animals. I'm like, we're really kind of not, man. No, man. Like, we kind of have the same needs as dogs. Like we just, we, we just have the choice to not do it for ourselves. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, bringing it back to, to bow hunting or deer hunting, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for doing hard things outside of hunting will kill big deer. Yep. If that's, if that's what your goal is, you know what I mean? Cause killing a big, a big mature deer on like the level of like an Andy May or whomever, I mean, you are, you're playing a 3d chess match with that animal. Right. And if you aren't challenging yourself regularly on, on hard tasks, I'm not saying you have to do jujitsu or you got to lift a bunch of weights or whatever. I mean, it might be that you're real into chess and you like problem solving or you're real into puzzles and you like to do complicated puzzles or you like to build cars and you like that Rubik's cube of like, I'm going to take this piece of shit and make it something awesome. You know, just, I think like anything that you do that takes effort requires effort in your attention and and an amount of passion is good because you start to find, you start to find like you and I talked about this a long time, time ago, analogs to the other passions that you have. And if you step back and take a 30,000 foot view of all the stuff that you're super into, you're probably fine that there's a level of like technical difficulty required. And there's probably things that you can take from each one of them that go like, oh man, this reminds me of this when I do this, you know? And it's just, your brain is seeking out those kind of, uh, that dopamine just from different areas or different places or different ways. Dude, it's huge. And it's, I mean, deer hunting is, is like a lot of stuff, right? Like if you... If somebody picks up a guitar and they want to learn how to, you know, solo like Kirk from Metallica, like you got to start, right. <laughs> you don't start there, right? right? Like that's his, his level isn't going to come down to you. You right. got to go to his, like yeah. you just, there's no way around it. And when you, when you look at like deer hunting, the thing that gets a little wonky is you take like Andy's situation and you know, he's not raising deer. Like he's not, he's not doing that thing where you can bring the deer to your level he has to bring himself up to him. And we mix those two worlds all the time, yeah. but they're not the same thing. Like we know how to hack nature and bring deer down to a really easy level, mm-hmm. big deer. Like it's, we, we have the formula, we know how to do it and people do it all the time. And we see a lot of success out of that. And that success gets mixed in with the people who are killing them on public land or pressure deer. And to, I think a lot of people, they look at it and don't really see a difference there, mm-hmm. but there is a huge difference there. Yeah. And I'm not saying like people shouldn't do that. I don't, it's give not a good shit. or bad. It's not right. Or it's not wrong. It's just different as all it is. It's a, it's a vastly different thing. So you got to look at this and go, am I going to buy into this situation where I can bring the deer to my level? And you know, maybe, maybe you have that, or maybe you could get a lease and start to do that. Okay, fine. But if you can't, or you don't want to, there's only one other way to do it. Like you got to bring yourself up. Yeah. Like you just, you just do. And there's so much, so many things out there where you can do that, where you're just like, you know, it's simple stuff too. Like we, we talk like big game stuff with, with exercise sometimes, but I'm like, I always tell people, I'm like, figure out how to run a 5k, mm-hmm. just 3.1 miles. It's just so many people that sounds like just like an unattainable goal. And I'm like, anyone can do it. Like, I'm like, 
the the most out of shape person out there, if you put like a three legged wolf on their tail, and it's like he's gonna catch you <laughs> unless you cover three point one miles before he gets there. They'd probably figure out a way to crawl through that freaking you know, 5k, like little stuff like that. It doesn't have to be this, you know, enormous step of, you know, kind of like going from like, you know, I wasn't a bow hunter two years ago. Now it's one sixties or bust. Like you skipped, skipped a lot of steps. steps. Yeah. 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 You don't have to do that. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, the way you kind of frame it as far as, you know, we've done a good job in, in instances and in spaces, whether it's, you know, large tracts of manicured land, you know, hunting TV, if you will, right? Like industry TV type stuff where we've brought the deer down to our, our level. And it made me just kind of think of, you know, a lot of, a lot of the undoing that needed, that needs to be done or that needed to be done. I don't know how much of it needs to be undone now because of how much content is available that isn't geared toward that or isn't born from that. Right. But I would say our age range like was very much influenced by that. Big and time. there was a lot of lies that were perpetrated on groups of hunters for years saying that the only way you could do these things was to make the deer dumber or this product would make the deer this dumb or do X, Y, or Z. So I'm just curious, like what is like the one myth or the one lie that in the moment you didn't recognize it for what it was that eventually that you fell for and that you eventually had to dispel yourself man i've fallen for all of them i mean i i just did a foundations episode on this not that long ago just talking about what it was like to see kind of behind the curtain of the hunting industry mm. you know and you know i grew up you know reading bow hunter reading peterson's bow hunting and seeing you know dvds back then and then you know uh outdoor channel type shows, whatever. <clears throat> and just like being amazed that people could do that. Like mm-hmm. how, you know, people like consistently killing bucks that like I'd never seen in my life, you yeah. like the, the size. And then you start to realize like, okay, like a ton of this information is coming from people who are hunting these places that is just like so much easier. You know, like the first time that I did a, a Texas hunt, I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is so easy it's just, it, it was mind blowing and it was fun. Don't get me wrong. Like right. I, I saw more bucks in the morning fighting and snort wheezing and chasing and stuff than it, than I would see in seasons upon seasons. And it, it made me realize like, okay, you have to learn your own stuff because you're, you're consuming information from people and you don't know what the story is. You know, the story you're told, or, you know, the story you're shown. And like you said, it's different now. Like you can't, you can't really hide if you're doing podcasts and you got to talk about this stuff. Like if you don't know what you're doing, like people are going to figure it out. Right. You know, it's not, it's not an 1800 word magazine article where you can massage the truth and leave out a whole bunch of shit. Like people are going to figure you out. But back then it kind of just made me realize like you, I'm kind of on my own in this thing. Like I just kind of want to forge my own path and just like hunt and, and, and I wanted to hunt whenever I could. So it's kind of like, just go, Go learn for yourself because I remember hearing all of that, like, you know, the full moon stuff and the, the lull stuff and the, you know, the hot weather, the, the wind, everything that's like been said about deer that mm-hmm. could or could not be true. Like I heard it all. Right. And it's like easy. We talked about before like to make those excuses and be like, well, I obviously didn't kill a buck because it's a full moon and it's October 10th. Right. You, you know what I mean? Right. And yet somewhere somebody arrowed a great big buck. And so when you start to just kind of go, even if there's like, even if like there's like a part of like, it's partially true, right? 
-hmm. is it true to me or is it true to this like chunk of public land you're hunting in Pennsylvania versus the, the land I'm hunting in Minnesota? Like, is that, does it work across those two? Like, I don't know, man. Or like, does it work, you know, not very well for me. Cause I want to go hit a, a ladder stand on a food plot versus you carrying a saddle in They, you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. so many variables. And so you just start to figure out like, sure. People will tell you stuff all the time about like what deer should and should not do or what they will and won't do. Like, I don't know, like you should go out and see for yourself because a lot of it's just not true. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the quickest way I think to dispel a lot of that stuff, depending on where you live, like, you know, for me being in PA, a lot of the stuff that you would see or get, get sold on, or someone would try to sell you on, like you just never see it to come, to, come to fruition, like ever because of just the amount of pressure. And, you know, there's just, you know, it is what it is. It's Pennsylvania, you know, huge hunting heritage. There's tons of pressure, especially if you're on public land. A lot of that stuff isn't going to hold true. You could definitely fool someone who might live in say Iowa and hunt the family farm. Right. Because it's like, you have a little bit more, of a relaxed atmosphere, deer are going to do deer things and there could be a lot more coincidences that occur. Right. And so for me, like the, the one that I used to follow that I kind of dispelled was, was the moon. I wanted to believe that so bad. Like <laughs> I was just talking to a buddy the other day about it. Cause I have, I know guys that hunt religiously by it and they can look at their wall and go, you know, uh, that deer was on a red moon. That deer was on a red moon. That deer was on a red moon. You know what I mean? It's like, and I, f I followed it for a couple of years and only one year did it really remotely play out and really played out just on one hunt, you know, yep. and the deer came through at the right time, but they came through like they got bumped. And so I'm like, well, was it the moon or did someone bump them? You know what I mean? Yep. It's like, and so that's the one that I probably, I probably wanted to believe more than any of them but I've just never seen it. The only, the only one that I will semi follow is the, um, I think it's the front side prior to a full moon and backside after a full moon, I think is what it is. It's four days before and four days after. Um, I forget who I picked that up from. It was one of the lone wolf custom gear guys, I think. Um, but I have kind of seen a little bit of like, I won't say enough to kind of go by, but I'll put it this way. If I get decent weather on those days, I'm I'm, I'm going to the woods, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I will kind of mark those days when I look at a map and I'll say, all right, here's the full moon. Here's the front side, the backside, all right? I'm going to definitely see if I can take some time off or make sure I spend a lot of time in the woods these, you know, these couple of days or whatever. Yeah. But well, I mean, I would say, you know, do whatever, but you know, like the guys who could say, yeah, that buck was on a red moon. That buck was on a red moon. Like well, if they're only hunting red moons, what do you expect? <laughs> I know. And think about it. If you, if you start buying into something like that and you say, okay, you know, a new moon is my thing. Like full moon sucks. I want a little tiny sliver of a moon. And you know, what if you go out and hunt, you know, three years in a row, you sit a bunch of days on that new moon. You don't shoot anything, but then you shoot 170 inch on one of them. By God, the new moon. <laughs> yeah. Believe me, I got this moon shit figured out, you know? And it, I see this all the time with people because I I preach this a lot. Like, just hunt when you can, you know? Like, yeah. hot weather, you know? And, and and I still hear that constantly. Like, well, you know, we didn't kill any deer because it was hot during the rut. And I'm always like... Man, they're rutting somewhere, dude. Yeah. Like, it just they're still out there, you know, in, in the early season, these velvet hunts that everybody wants to do right now, you know, it's like a given you're going to get hot weather. Yeah. And it's like, well, they're not going to move. And I'm like, they just came out of August, man. 
Like you think they just like think they just laid down for the month of August? Yeah, it's been ninety five degrees for a month. You think all of a sudden it changes now? Like no, they're gonna go. They're gonna go water. They're gonna go eat. Like you're not. You're not doing what you need to to kill them in this stuff because it sucks. Right. But it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is, you know, excuses. Yeah. Kind of having self, you know, made or ready made excuses for why I couldn't do this or I couldn't, you know, couldn't do that. I mean, I'll put it this way like, there, you know, those things do go into an equation of like how you're going to approach a hunt. And so you may approach it differently because of X. And that might be why maybe you weren't at the right spot because maybe you made a wrong decision. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's hot out. You know, I'm going to go sit a water source, but I think it's this water source over here. And you pick the side that was on a South facing slope instead of the side that was like close to North facing slope when they're probably yep. better on the North. You know what I mean? It's like yep. things like that, where it's like, yeah, it wasn't that the water didn't work out. It's just like, you made a bad strategic decision on where you're at and that's okay. You know what I mean? Yep. That, that shit happens. You know, someone but, may have done the same thing and killed a giant, you know what I mean? It, and, been, and got lucky. Dude, that's, that's how you learn though. Like when you, when you challenge yourself that way and you go, I don't, I think this is going to suck. I shouldn't go do it. When you go hunt that way, you, you learn a lot because yeah. you have a lot to learn in that situation. Yeah. That's the one thing, um, with this elk hunt coming up, you know, cause it is going to be warm, you know? And so I'm trying to like mentally prepare myself for that because I don't typically, I mean, I hunt early season, mid September here in PA when it's still, you know, you get some 80 degree, 80 plus degree days or whatever, but this is going to be a little bit different. So I'm trying to mentally prepare myself to know that like, all right, I'm going to have to think about things a little bit differently. Like shade is going to be important. You know, I'm going to be in dark timber, a ton of timber there. So it's not like I'm going to have a lot of open areas where there's full sun, but you know, North facing slopes are going to be important. You know, where is the water source? You know, even if it's just like a small little trickle, it's going to be important. Uh, inversely or not necessarily inversely, but in addition to that, I need to make sure I'm glassing the shadows a little bit more diligently. That way I don't find a grizzly as I roll up onto a, <laughs> onto a, a nice shady spot that I think there's nothing laying there that happens yeah. to have a, have a bear laying there, you know? So, you know, just a bunch of different things to, to think about, but I'm stoked for it. It's going to challenge me. And, uh, if it's not challenging you, then it's not changing you. That's, yeah. that's a, a good quote that I like, you know? So, well, cool, man. I uh, we've been rolling here for like an hour and a half. I want to be sensitive to your time. Is there anything else we haven't covered? Anything you want to? Is there anything that you're dying to get off your chest? Uh, not really, man. No. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I told you this before the podcast. You'll start getting some more cheerful uh, foundations episodes out of me here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got like, a couple. I got a couple of the bummer ones out of the way. I liked them though, man. It was a straight talk. I was like, that's the, that's the Tony I know. I was like, all Dude. right. I'll tell you what, man, people ask me all the time what it's like to work for meat eater. And I'm honestly like, I've never been off leash this way. (laughs) And I just keep waiting for the ax to fall. Like I just keep waiting for like something. And my my boss actually last week said, he kind of alluded to that. Like, yeah, we, we don't let you know all the ways you get me in trouble. kind of thing. (laughs) I'm like, you know, what? You, if you want to rein me in, go ahead. Right, but right. They haven't yet, so I, I'm having fun with that. I like it. So I see a podcast in the future that's uh, Tony Peterson Unleashed. There we go. That's the next. That's the <sighs> Dude, next iteration. Well, I, you know, I'm. It's what's fun about this right now, and I will get in trouble for it. Uh, but when I started those, you know, we kind of had a process where you know Mark would go over and be like, "Man, you probably shouldn't say that," and you know, but it's like right. Kenyon, and he's like really. 
right. reserved with a lot of that shit. And I'm just not. <clears throat> and so now it's kind of like my show that that part is right. And I, I kind of just say what I want and free reign. Yeah. And it's fun, but I'll tell you what, it's weird. Cause you, we create hunting content all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like we yeah. just, you, you do, we do like, and you think, okay, I have to do something on how to kill a buck during the rut this time of year, or I have to do something about early season bucks this time of year, or wh- whatever you have you. But when you do something like that foundations, like, I mean, I did a whole episode on how quitting drinking made me a better hunter. It yeah. made me a better person and a better hunter. The amount of freaking people who reached out over that, because yeah. they don't hear that in our space. Well, that's just it, man. Like we were talking offline before we, before we really started and you know, we, we talked a little bit about thinking about hunting differently and how it kind of fits into your life in different ways and how things that you do outside of that, you know, impact how you, how you hunt and not, and how you hunt impacts other parts of your life that you might not necessarily, you know, know, or that you might not, might not realize. And I think that that's the cool thing that you're, that you're doing. I think what you've done as far as like, you know, laying the foundation, no pun intended for people, especially if they're newer and understanding like how to scout, like all this, like the basic stuff that you like that you've broken down. But like the parts that I'm really interested in, you know, as, as a fan of yours and just like the content that you, that you create in general is where, like where you're starting to go. That's the part that gets me excited because there is not a voice out there doing that. You know, there's not a voice out there kind of saying, you know, uh, you know, Hey, Hey dummy, don't be a dumbass. Stop doing this. You know what I mean? Like you're screwing up your life. You know, not that you're going to be the, the Dr. Phil of the hunting world necessarily. Right. But, but, but you know what I'm saying? Where it's like, you know, there's a lot, we, we gloss over hunting and, and, and bow hunting or just hunting in general as, you know, a thing that we, a thing that we do. And there are people, you know, a lot of people who listen to this show and listen to you and Mark and, and, and so forth that are super passionate, passionate about it, right? That means more to them than just, than just hunting. But I even still think those folks, and I'll count myself included in this, don't kind of stop and kind of take stock in like how valuable it really is. Yeah. Like, like how, how meaningful it is to my life, not just to be a hunter and to identify as a hunter, but what other ways has it enriched my life beyond sitting in a tree or chasing an animal or whatever. Right. And that's the part that I think when we start thinking differently about it, we then start to put in its appropriate place from a, from a, like a value perspective in our lives or in our, in our world. Right. Cause we can talk about conservation till we're blue in the face. We can talk about the stuff that's happening out West with like, tags and things like that. Right. And we think about it superficially of like, what's the impact of me getting a tag or, Oh, what's the impact of, you know, the, the herd or like the habitat or whatever. And that's one step. That's one level deeper. Right. But if like, if the association is, is that, you know, I'll, I'll give a quick story. Maybe not hundred percent hunting related. So when I left the band, you know, or whenever I was, when I, well, when I moved to, to Florida and I was, you know, a, a young kid, I was like 19 years old. I was doing all the rock and roll stuff that people do, but I just wasn't in a band or I was in a band, but I just wasn't famous or successful. Right. I was in a pretty bad place and I won't talk about exactly what I was doing necessarily, but you know, use your imagination. I was, it was all of it, you know? Um, and I was in a, I was in a dark spot and had some 
problems. And if, if I were to look at that person today as someone I didn't know, I would say that person probably has six months and they're not going to be around anymore. You know, that's kind of where I was at. Um, wasn't like I was mentally having like problems. It was going to be a substance was going to take me, you know, it was that type of thing. Um, and when I moved to Orlando, I changed the people that I was around, you know, and I changed kind of how I approached things. And I just threw myself into music and I was like, this is all I'm going to do. And I had to have an honest conversation with myself, which was, you know, you're either going to be a person who talks about shit or you're going to be a person who, who does shit, but you need to decide right now what you're going to be, you know? And so I decided to be a person who was going to do shit and build a band, got a record deal, got the tour, got to do a bunch of cool stuff. And I always say like music for me, like music is one of those things I will never cheat because it literally saved my life. You know, and so for me, when I think about music, it's like, I don't think about it like chords and melodies. Yeah, I can break it down like that because I've worked in studios for a long period of time. I wrote songs, I've done all that stuff. And like, yeah, that's the technical part of it that I appreciate and I like, but there's a part of it that has like, that's still like, even though I don't play all the time anymore, that's like part of the fabric of what I am because it literally is the thing that kept me out of the ground, you know? And so if you start to think about hunting and you can associate and you can attach that type of meaning. And when you think about like how it's impacted your life in different ways, like you like hunting, you know, stopping drinking made you a better hunter. Then I would say being a better hunter kept you from drinking. Right. For sure. So it's like, it's those things there. And when you start to make those kind of ties, then you start to think about it differently. You start to evangelize it a little bit differently and, and, and appreciate it. It just isn't enough. It's more of like, making sure you represent it the right way. That's when you stop posting stupid shit on Instagram. You don't give a shit what buck someone killed. You know what I mean? You don't care that someone used a crossbow or they shot it over bait if it's legal in that state or whatever the case is because it has you have elevated it to a place of a much deeper meaning than those things that are just kind of tangible in the moment. Yep. Dude, I think I think that's so important what you just said. And I think we don't we, we focus, it's so easy to focus on the negatives, right? Like, well, I didn't kill this or the neighbor shot all my bucks or whatever. And yet it's a freaking gift to be born in a country where we can hunt deer. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like on land we all own and in the right situation, you can buy an elk tag and drive across the country and go hunt in the mountain. Like this is a freaking gift all the way around. And people, People like to really bitch about our hunting opportunities all the time. I'm like, man, there's a lot of really good hunting out there if you want to work for it. Yeah. And I see it from squirrels all the way up to, you know, upland and waterfowl. And I hear just nonstop bitching. And it's like, man, maybe you just need to recalibrate a little bit. Like maybe, you know, maybe your duck hunting sucks now. Like maybe right. it's not as good as it was 10, 15 years ago. But is there like a bang and woodcock migration coming through or is there something else that you can find? And it's the same thing with deer. Like we get locked into this thing where it's like, it's not the way it was for me. Right. Okay. Well, what do you, what do you have to work with now? And instead of just like focusing on like all the negatives of like, oh, it's brown, it's down or the shotgun season sucks or whatever. It's like, you get to go freaking hunting. Like you, you get to go hunt on land that's open to anyone like go find that somewhere else in the world like that's pretty rare to find and we're just like so it's like so easy to focus on the negatives and our lack of success Mm -hmm. and i'm like man we're we're pretty fortunate and i think i think you 
it takes a while to get to that. Like where you just, you're just like, I really appreciate this just for the opportunity. And this is, this is one of the things people get so pissed at me about like the, I bring up the resident non-resident thing a lot. Mm -hmm. And I just look at that and I go, when you take away opportunities from hunters, like you're not really being any better than an anti-hunter. You're doing right. that for yourself. And it, you know, if it's a resource thing, it's different. Like if the resource needs it, great. Like yeah. everybody should be on the same page with that. But if it's just so you can have easier hunting for yourself and you take away opportunities from someone else, that sucks. Yeah. Like it just, that's a shitty move. And I know everybody does it and everybody wants to do it. And like, we're okay with it. Like in, in a large scale thing. And I don't think we should be like, right. I think we should really be thinking like, the future of this thing, I don't I don't think we have that much runway left on this overall. And I know people think we do in the whitetail space. I don't. Like I think, you know, by the time like my grandkids are gonna be hunting, I think it's gonna be pretty freaking rough. Yeah. And th that worries me, you know. And, and well we just look at urban sprawl just in general. Right. Sure. Like just take a drive through any kind of uh, we'll say rural area outside of a suburb somewhere. Like where I live is a prime example, right? I mean you can't, it's hard to pass an open lot somewhere that doesn't have building happening on it right now, yep. you know? And if you think, and if you think, uh, that States wouldn't sell off your public land or that's only a thing that happens out West, it's like, well, yeah, for now, like, <laughs> yeah, well, you know what I mean? Like it's all it takes is like precedent being set in these other States when they get strapped for cash or whatever, they start looking at, well, what resources do we have that we can balance the budget? You know, and that's, that's ultimately what happens. It becomes a, a budget line item. Well, not only that, but just the sheer reality that if we if we stayed net neutral with with the amount of acreage of public land we have across this country, we're losing because of that, just because of the urban sprawl, because people are losing their spots to hunt. Yeah. So some of them are going to give up. Some of them are going to go hunt that public land. It's going to get more crowded. And I, I, I always look at this and I go, there aren't very many like viable solutions to what we have going on as far as access. But these walk-in programs, like if there's if there's a way to fund them more, and like that's going to go directly to opening up more land, that's a win for everyone. Oh yeah, and man. It, I mean, Kansas, like I hunted like ninety-eight percent. Like there was some public land that was close by the spot that I was at, but like ninety-eight percent of what Chad and I hunted out there was all walk-in access. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, and it, I mean, there's a lot of states doing that, and I just think like. You know, if you're a resident of a state or a non-resident going to hunt somewhere, like that's a win for everybody. Like mm -hmm. if if everybody's license price goes up by ten bucks or fifteen bucks or twenty bucks a year, whatever it is, and that's dumped right into that fund that's going to secure more of that land, everybody wins. Right. And it's not just deer hunters; it's small game hunters, and everybody's pitching in, and that's just a win for us. And it's a hedge against the reality that we are losing spots. And right. when you when you start seeing like you know we have the same thing going on here. There's they're building freaking everywhere. They're developing everywhere. And you look at it and go, okay, now I'm scared because I lost my spot. So I'm going to lease something, and I'm going to keep everyone else out. And I'm not saying don't do that. Like, I don't care if you lease, but we, that like, that's feeding that part of the machine too. And that's keeping people out of other spots. And so we really have to look at this and go like, how do we open up as much land as possible? Yeah. Like that's, to me, that's kind of like the hill I want to die on because I don't see another way out of this. Yeah. And I know PA, they have, <clears throat> they have some of that, like I've looked at maps and stuff like that. And I actually have some stuff marked on my, uh, on my map where you know, it'll, I'll, I forget exactly what they call it in Pennsylvania, but it'll outline a piece of property that is like uh, hunting, open to hunting or whatever. You yep. just need to kind of basically go knock and say, hey, I noticed that you're open to hunting on the map. Just want to let you know, you know, I'm going to hunt as long as that's true. Cause I don't know how, what, how often that's updated or whatever. 
So I have some places marked where I did want to kind of go, go do that. I didn't know until I stumbled across it online. Like I had no clue that Pennsylvania had that, you know, I just happened to be looking online the one day and was checking out some of like the Pennsylvania state game commission maps. And I saw this legend and I was like open to hunting. I was like, that's weird. And I started clicking around and I was like, man, and I started looking at my map versus their map and going, man, that's private property. And I was like, no way that that's farm that I've driven by a hundred times. And it was always like, man, that'd be great to hunt that place, you know, yep. but cool, man. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that's, you know, it, a lot of states have that, right? Mm -hmm. And people will, you know, like it's really easy to bring up like a bad example, like somebody abuses that. Like it, it just, just as an example in, in Wisconsin where I hunt, um, there's like tax advantage programs where you can open up your land and a lot of people will open up like a 40 that's landlocked. And so legally they're supposed to give you uh, access to it, but they make it hard. Right. And so people right. bring that up as an example. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of an asshole who's gaming the system. Like, right. You know, or you go to South Dakota and they will be walking a walk-in ranch and it's an entire, you know, 160 acre field. I found some of that in Kansas. Chisel actually. Plowed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I found some and, of that in Kansas actually that was, that was landlocked like that, where it was like, there was one spot in particular that, I mean, Chad and I probably spent like a quarter of a day driving around to try to figure out how to get onto it. We finally found one way to get into it. And that yeah. was, and that was it. But it was like the most ass backwards way you would try to get into this piece. And we walked in and it completely sucked ass, yeah. but yeah. I mean, it, you know, there's that quote that's like perfect is the enemy of good enough or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, you know, like, yeah, people are going to abuse that and there's going to be shitty spots, but just like generally the, the idea of opening up more land, however we can do it. I'm just like, I'm for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that with something like that, you just add a provision. It's like, uh, must provide an easement for yep. public traffic or not public traffic, but public walk-in access, you know, yeah. even if it's like up the edge of this property line is the only way you can enter, like whatever it is. Well, yeah. And, and some States are really good. They'll, you know, they mark the, the entrance point and, mm -hmm. you know, you can, you can go, you know, look at it on the state game and fish website or whatever, and see like, this is this two track is the, the way you go in, stay between the fence lines and you're good. Right. That like, there's simple solutions to this stuff to make those situations better. Right. Awesome, man. Well, I'm going to let you get going, brother. Uh, before I let you dip, let people know where they can uh, listen to the dulcet tones of one Tony Peterson <laughs> and find out what he's got going on. And hey, tell them where your Instagram is at, man, so they can make sure they follow you on Instagram. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, at Tony J. Peterson. Uh, everything I've got is at Meat Eater now. I'm a mm -hmm. full-timer since February. And so... Uh, you know, a lot of stuff on the meateater.com and a lot of stuff on our wired to hunt sub brand there, you know, the foundations episode, can you find that everywhere? It's, you know, it's under wired to hunt. And I do a lot of a guest hosting when Mark is off fly fishing for the 97th time of the year. Uh, so I cover for him quite a bit and anything, anything they want to see from me, white tail wise is going to be at meat eater somehow. Right. He must be pretty good at fly fishing now, man. I know he's been doing a lot of it. I don't know, man. He's an awkward dude. I think he's probably okay at it, but he just does it a lot. Right. <laughs> nice. On that note, we'll get going. <laughs> thanks, brothers. Good talking to you again, man. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Spartan Forge, Exodus, and Skull Brew Coffee Company. And until next time, we'll see y'all. Oh, 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 oh,